The Coco Nation Show is an unscripted, live, and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own, and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation Show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged, and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation. The world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Coco Nation episode 333. We're halfway to hell. <laughs> Some people say we've been there all along. <laughs> oh, we have a lot of special guests on the panel today. Thank let's you. See who we have. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, I need to push this button over here so everyone can follow my order, my lead. All right. First up, we got Mark Overhoser. Hey, glad to be here as usual. And also Rick Uland. Next in beard order is me. And long time no see, Wayne. How's it going? Wayne. Going pretty good, actually. Glad to be here. All right, then we got L. Curtis Boyle. Welcome to the show, everyone. Okay, and next row we got yours truly, the button-pushing monkey. Then we got Bob. Mr. <laughs> but did a spit take on that one. That's what the B stands for. <laughs> oh, let's see. And in the boardroom, we got Bob Emery. Greetings, Coco Nation. Okay, Ken Waters. <laughs> Hello, everybody. All right, and Ron Delvo. Yeah, we're all islands, but together we make the nation. Now, that's right. And go. a character turn of the line feed. We've got Kevin Holloway. Hello, everybody. Not in the living room this time. Oh, same room, just different corner. Oh, okay. And Terry Stiggy. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Okay. And Brian Weasler. Hello, everyone. Excuse the uh, halo of light around me. So that's all right. That's the, the time of the year. The sun hitting the window <laughs> just right. Uh, let's see. We got Alan Murphy. Howdy, howdy, everyone. All right. Next row, we've got Nick Barrentes. How come I always get to sit next to David Ladd? Can I move? Because he, he likes you, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you're you're from tomorrow. <laughs> Good night, everyone. There. Is that is that a better place? Put you up next to me. Ah, that's much better. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and we got David Ladd. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Please sit, stay a while. <laughs> we'll have a good show today. And Nick, you bias son of a gun, you. <laughs> <laughs> At least he's not physically next to you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, let's see. Last but not least, we've got Jason Cuckoo-Man.biz. Why, hello, everyone. And I knew it was going to be only a matter of time until we had to separate those two. <laughs> <laughs> but, David, I have a question for you. Are you excited? Why, yes. <laughs> uh, Exile in Paradise. Now you see we... Exile in Paradise snuck in on us. Now you can see why I wanted to move. No, he, no, he was here. We just uh, we just moved into the bottom row. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, let's see. In the chat, we've got Tom Eric Gunderson, TJB Chris. Uh, let's see. Besides the panel, we got Mark Siegel. Wait, yep. I haven't scrolled down that far yet. Oh, okay. There's Mark. Oh. Uh, let's see, a mysterious Facebook user, and how do you pronounce this, Mauricio Matt, Flutterballs, others with us, and Strickia. Otherwise known as Henry Strickland. All right, there's, there's, we got starting with the chat today. I have a special request. Okay. I think uh, if, if, if we could just for a second go to Terry Steggy and take a look at that Black Beauty and that uh, uh, Ron's Garage uh, picture he's got currently. <laughs> oh, you Oops. can't see it because hey. of the. Okay, the, I got to move everyone over. There yep. we go. Now we can see the Black Beauty. Ta da. All right. Very nice. And that reminds me, I didn't make any co-hosts. So <laughs> excuse, excuse me while I take care of a little bit here. We're going to dock your pay 10% this week. There's them buttons. Yep, lots so, of buttons. That's one less chicken McNugget for Mark? <laughs> that's what? like a pay cut in this, uh, this situation. We're reimbursing him for meals? What did that happen? No, we're just not going to let him have one more nugget. I don't even have any nuggets today. Uh, no more. I, I, I did Brahms. No more six-piece nugget. You can only order the four now. <laughs> I miss Brahms. Limit you to the child's menu, and you can't <laughs> eat the toy either. Budget cuts. Let's see. First up, uh, we've got uh, project updates. There are multiple people. So who wants to go first? Yeah, who wants to go first? Well, I guess I can go first. I think I'll be quick. Uh, it's not an update so much as an acquisition. Uh, let me switch cameras here. That's a Bob Emery for you, audio listeners. <laughs> yes, Coconut Bob to the rescue. Okay. Um, so basically, ordinary looking Coco 3 here. Uh, some people from the Discord may know that I happen to have perfect timing and jumped on the rare occasion to acquire a coco three with uh Demi x yep i recognize the vga out there so yeah we've got this vga out um right now i've got the 
composite hooked up to this monitor. I haven't really gotten into this yet today. I just, for the sake of time, I took the screws out right before the show. Um, it was very well packed, but it is not working. So even on composite, I'm getting nothing out. I always I have found that they work better with the screws so, out. I always I find. Yeah, I heard a little bit of rattling in there. So the, the Gimme X is loose. That's that should plug into the Gimme socket. That yeah. would give me, it, it's a Gimme 9 right now. No, I mean, that would be and one problem. X, gimme X. I'm going to get the keyboard out of the way. Well, if you're not going to use uh, the VGA, uh, I'd go ahead and unplug it from the Gimme X so the cover doesn't fall over on you. Well, I'm going to. Oh. Use that too. I've got the cord here. I did. I was just testing to see if it worked at all, but uh, I didn't realize this was completely out of the socket. Yeah, the socket that uh, Ed Snyder had to make is completely custom, and mm -hmm. so although it fits nicely, um, they, they do tend to rock a little bit, and so um, yeah. I've had mine walk out on me a couple times. Yeah, well, I've had to push mine back in too. Well, it's got right a lot of weight on that socket. Yeah, that felt good. Check everything first. And then as uh, long as I'm in here, I'm going to throw in an LED so I can tell if it's coming on <laughs> or not. Yay. <laughs> Hardware tinkerers got a tinker. Oh, you got to love those LEDs. Sounds like you watched Bob. the uh, Coco Tech show. A power on light would be a handy addition. Every computer should have one. Especially when they come apart in the middle. This would be a lot easier if I, if my eyes worked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, how many of us say that and how often? How many people's eyes work? Yeah, I always say, one, the eyes. Two, the hands don't shake when you're trying to put surface mount stuff on the <laughs> <Yeah>. PCB. <laughs> well, I'm not blind yet. See, folks, he's so cool he has to wear two pairs of glasses. I'm trading the six eyes. Still can't get this thing in there. Come on. You should try working on an iWatch. Yeah. No, uh, nope. No, thank you. All right, I've got that. My one and only time. Is that the Sears catalog under that PC? Uh, something like that. I think it's a Cosmopolitan. Oh, <laughs> oh it's Vogue. Don't get hot sitting there? One issue? Wow. I mean, it's a solid surface. All right, let's see. It's a bit smaller than Computer Shopper used to be. Nice blue light. Uh, yep. Still no composite. I did hear a relay click. Oh, there we go. Ta-da! It was good. Did, did they, that yeah. one come with a two meg or an eight meg? As I understand it, this is eight megabytes. Yep. Yeah, it does take a little bit of time to fire up. Oh, I can't wait to see you format a six megabyte RAM drive. <laughs> Just make sure you down EOU, uh, download EOU, uh, give me X version so it at least does it at three megahertz. And then I'm going to use it to to flip a bunch of P mode four pages. <laughs> you can put an entire movie in there. So, <clears throat> Star Wars ASCII. 
<laughs> no, this Star Wars video. I mean, um, John Linville did one. Did he do the full movie or did he do 20, 30 minutes? I can't remember on the IDE. Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember seeing that. With with sound and graphics. So it was, you know, a full-blown movie. So this well, computer you- would be considered not only classic, but ultra rare because of the upgrades. Yeah, well, until the the chips become plentiful again for the Gimme X and the Coco BJ for that matter, same chip, um, they're still going to be rare, unfortunately. But uh, there was two bad two batches of these were done, so I think there's probably about between twenty to forty. I can't remember the exact size of the batches, but twenty to forty are actually out there. I've got one. Would you say that they're as common as a uh, um, MM one? Less. Less common. There was a few hundred M1s made. As he's working on that, I'll do a little public service announcement. And if anybody's ever looking at selling another one of their uh, uh, Gimme X's, uh, Terry Steen has called dibs on uh, on the next one that's available. <laughs> but he's been passing. Yeah, and I, I, I'd give him some that. preference too over you know just a random person getting it because he actually is a developer, and I think he would use it for developing new stuff for the Gimme X, which would be awesome. Well, I tell you what, guys, I am actually. Probably not going to take full advantage of this. Um, I felt the opportunity to get my hands on one for a little while. I'll probably use it for a few months, maybe make a video or two, and I will probably pass this on to Terry. Oh, okay. I'm not here to hog it or put it in a closet or anything like that. I don't know. Once you run Nitrous 9 at 3 megahertz, it gets kind of addictive. Yeah, I bet. I'm... Theoretically, still on the list for one if they ever get, you know, produced again. But well, the chip did come out. I think that I can't remember what the quantity was. So fourteen thousand were made and they were sold out within a day or two from the manufacturer. But it was the first mm-hmm. time since COVID started they've actually been available at all. And I think the price is quite a bit higher than it used to be. So that might be another reason for the delay. Even if the chips come out, if they cost three times as much, the monitor doesn't recognize the cable being plugged in, but it does. Like it's working fine. So we know Color Fog X is coming now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, when Ed did his video on this, it was kind of fun. He uh he had what five different devices hooked yeah, up. Yeah, he's to got it? five outputs in that sucker. He's got S video, yeah. he's got composite, he's got RF, he's got VGA, and what's the one I'm missing? Or did I get a five? RCA, did you say RC you know for like TV? Well, RF is TV, RF, composite. Okay, yep. yep, yep. Um S video, mm-hmm. VGA, VGA. What's the fifth one? There's a fifth one. R- RGB, the regular RGB, right? Analog RGB, right? Yep. Yeah, because he was driving all five at once. Yep. One one change you will notice though is that you no longer have to worry about composite versus RGB. Everything is RGB. Whether you're on RF or composite doesn't matter. It's uh, it's still RGB color set. So you always select RGB. I will tell you that, Bob. Nice. Nice. So it's consistent at least. And there are a few things that I should be able to do, like, uh, I don't know, well, like Corona's Rift or things like that benefit from it already. Yeah. Rescue and Fractalus is probably the most optimized because the 639 version already runs pretty quick compared to the original. Mm-hmm. But you combine that with the Gimme X and it's it looks like a real flight sim. Nice. So yeah, this is, I'm excited to have this working anyway. I don't really have anything to demo on it. I did. Uh, it did come with an older uh, SDC, also, 
Oh, he might have some of the demos on there then, because he had some graphic demos, like using the 256 color modes. and With no SD card. Oh. <laughs> well, I guess you'll have to get one and download it, and you can demo it next week. There was an at t SIM card, but I don't think that'll... Don't, don't you all run it own one, run it two. Hey, Bob, I do have a copy of that uh, Gimme X software I can send to you. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That's one of the uh, Gimme X samples that did the uh, skull here on mine. Also, uh, Gary Becker's actively working on the Gimme X firmware, and he just did a release, I think, in May of this year that he put up on the Discord, so you can grab that too. Because he's added a few extra features on there. Like now the gimme hardware character set is redefinable. You can define your own character set. Mm -hmm. Nice. Well, if nothing else, I feel good about having added my own little power LED signature to it. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to drill a hole for it? No. No drilling, no soldering. It fits perfectly in a little square hole. It looks like whoever did the Coco VJ mount or the VJ mount, not Coco VJ, but the VJ mount port already did some drilling. So, Wow. Yeah. Let me uh, switch this camera to that. Yeah, when I got mine, um, I actually uh, spoke to Ed ahead of time. I had a Coco 3 that was having a bit of an issue. I thought it was either processor or memory. Um, I wasn't able to narrow it down, and um, he was going to socket it for me anyway. And so I sent it to him, and uh, I had him go ahead and mount uh, the VGA ports and everything on it. And and, uh, he did a really nice job. Because my drilling skills are only unparalleled by my soldering skills. In other words, they're both <laughs> terrible. So I got him to do it. Yeah, as I understand it, this was done by it also. Yeah, he did a nice job. It looks pretty nice. Yeah, and uh, yeah, if you want to highlight it there, uh, Mark. More LED, you can't uh, okay. see it like there. But... You have to show the back yeah. again there. We couldn't quite see it. Oh, yeah, that's a natural hole for it. Yeah. Yeah, how did the people who made the cocoa know to put LED holes in the top? Right. <laughs> <laughs> they have the you got those two button switches for switching the different modes, like composite modes and or artifacting modes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, is there like a user manual for this? Yeah, there is. Nice. And you have to get all the updates that Gary's been doing since too. Mm-hmm. Is there any uh programs on that SDC in one of the um you know sixteen? No, he said he got no card with it at all. He's just got oh, yeah, the right. SDC no, you don't need a you don't need the a ROM banks. Run it one, run it two, run it three. Right. Oh, you mean the ROMs? Yeah. yeah. That's the, what I'm talking flash about. Rams. Sorry, there. I thought you were talking about disk images. No. Someone could have got tricky. Just disk basic on uh, at one. Okay. Yeah, that's for backwards compatibility for some of the things that don't work with STC extensions. Keep going. And I think, depending how late it is, he might have a Dragon DOS or something in there, because that was another one they put on for Dragon users. You can't adjust the uh, screen to get um, 640 by 480? Uh, There might be be an aspect ratio setting in there somewhere. Right. The flat panel monitor game. There it is. Oh, it does have that. Yay. Yay. It's Coco <laughs> compatible. It looks like a human. Look at that. That's great. So let's try the rest of them. Run that two. 
that the right format? Like run space at maybe, I'm not sure. You know, I don't know. Actually, once you switch it over, oh. I think you can't get back out of it again. Yeah, right, right. Oh, right. yeah turn it uh, off and on again. That's what it is. You have to wait a little while for the RAM. Yeah. Nick said that problem too with the protector. Dude just locks it up. Nothing there. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> now that locks spaghetti <laughs> screensavers. Hey. Yes. It's, it's likely not to have any more on there. I'll bet. Modern yeah. art mode. No, they didn't do it. Anything. I believe Dragon Doss sits in slot seven. Okay, try it. Come on, Dragon. Ooh. In a border. Tried to do something. But on a Coco 3, it probably won't work because one of two <laughs> things, it's uh, trying to use the all of the basic offsets that are in the Dragon's basic pointers, which the Coco's pointers are different. So... Thank you for explaining that. For for you newbies who don't know who these people are. The three muggeteers. Yep. That is in our ROM. Cool. Yeah, there's there's multiple demos you can run off that. The others um you know, using a lot of the extended graphics, all the extended palettes. Mm -hmm. uh, EOU Gimme X version will run it at three megahertz, of course, two point eight six to be technical. Need to set up a demo disc for it then. Yeah, one of the things I did with my SDC is I took um, the standard disc basic and I patched patched it for six milliseconds and double sided operation. Kind of like an ADOS, huh? Well, no, ADOS supports it naturally, but this basic, I always want drive two to be the backside of drive zero and drive three to be the backside of drive one. Right, Curtis? Trying to insert an SD card back. Sorry, I missed that, David. I was actually typing back to Kieran here. So what was that? It was talking about backsides and floppy drives. Only for no, you so the same old, same old. Okay. So no, I was talking about the patches to just the standard disk basic so that you could have drive two as the backside of drive zero and drive three as the backside of drive one. Yeah, it's just two pokes you do in the yeah. It's two pokes you do if you're in all RAM mode. Even works on the Coco one and two. Yeah, but I was talking about patching it and then putting it in another slot. In oh, so it's permanent like that. Yeah, that's a good idea. <clears throat> is it your own SD card then? or? Yeah, this is the one out of my secondary SDC. This one, for some reason, doesn't launch into uh, the SDC Explorer on reset. 
but it does it from a power up, sometimes on a hard reset, but never. I don't know. Once I exit out of a program or something, I can't type EXP and get back into it. I have to like turn the machine off or do a hard reset. Yeah, I think it's a config thing you got to change, isn't it? Uh, probably. Even though it's a clone of my good ones. Anyway, I guess we should probably move on to someone else. I don't really have anything else to show about it other than that I got it and it's working. Yeah, there's two pokes you can do to enable the triple speed, and I'm trying to remember. You have to do the regular speed up poke first, and then you have to do a second one. So you can find that. Ah, yeah, found it if you want to try that. Got the explorer to run at least. Um, yeah, what do you got? Okay, so do the regular speed up poke first. Um, so poke and H F F nine D comma pick a number. Oh, yeah, that one that works. And then poke the same location, but do ampersand A five. For the value? Yeah. A5? Yeah. And if the that is the correct directions, then that should kick it right into 3 megahertz. So how can we test that? Cursor should be uh, blinking much, 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 much faster. Yeah, disco cursor is working pretty good. A disco cursor. <laughs> <laughs> he can't mix uh, decimal and uh, hex, can he? Will Joey run fast? Uh, is that frame lock, Nick? <laughs> uh, it is, but it might yeah, it might speed up still. Well, it's just coming right on the screen, blinking. Yeah, are you in? Yeah. Are you in high speed now? Are you? Yes. Oh, maybe maybe um maybe it is uh, frame mm -hmm. locked. When it scrolls off the page, it goes pretty quick. Whoa, that's fast. Yeah, it turns off the... Uh, it is slightly faster, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you take an unframe log game, um, even a Coco 3 game for that matter, it should run a fair bit faster with that poke. Except some of the games will do the poke itself, and yeah, that might slow it down again. Yeah, if you if you do that poke and then it does another high regular high speed poke, it will drop it back down. All right. So what uh, game should I try here? I don't have a bunch. Hey, pick of a Coco one or two game. Donut dilemma. Is that frame luck, Nick? It, it's got uh, colors. Well, try it. The way the frame locking works is it just syncs to the. V-Sync, so, well, yeah. which means if it's running really fast, it just sits there and waits until the V-Sync and then runs again. How about yeah, until, for the next V-Sync. So if my software takes normally, you know, two frames to process, then it'll wait for a V-Sync. But if you're extra clock speed, 
you might finish the game in one frame before it waits for a V-Sync. So it may speed mm. up. It locks yeah, the problem with Coco 3 games is because of the way he set up the, the two different pokes on the same location to do it. If a, a Coco 3 game, and most Coco 3 games do this, do the regular high-speed poke, it'll throttle it back down to 1.78 once you execute it. So it kind of overrides whatever you do with command line. Unless you have a basic game in Coco 3 game you want to try. Basic? I could probably run Color Fog. I don't know. Let's yeah, see. try that. You you can you know how fast that normally runs. You can see. I'm not super proficient at mounting disc images on here. Um, how do I go up a level or back to the root? Oh, um, I drive zero comma quote slash quote. I think. Like that. Mm, no, no. Nah. Or what is it? We're spoiled. We use S. STC. I just use Nitrous 9, so I don't worry about any basic crap. <laughs> no. Uh, what, what have you got in drive one? Do one. Oh, it's oh, called fog. fog. <laughs> okay. So that is your color fog. Use a high speed poke. High speed poke. Yeah. Jim Gary says DIR quote double dot. Double quote, uh, quote. Well, double, double dot quote. Okay. I think that would just show you with the directory above rather than moving there. But what was it? A A five. A five. The thing is, if your program does the high speed poke itself, though, it's going to slow back down to double oh, speed. Go back to you might do it. Speed. Need to do a drive one. Yeah, just maybe. load the program first, and just maybe if you know where you you do the speed up poke, just edit it out. Um, yeah, that could be tricky because it's modules, and each one does a speed up poke, and or just the main one disengages it. Yeah, I think I disengaged it. Oh, there. do drive one first because you're you're still in yeah. drive zero right now. Yeah. That's another thing it does when I load it. When I run it from one, it'll switch to one automatically. But yeah. Oh, okay. I'd be interested to see how fast the cat game goes. <laughs> yeah, actually, the cat thing would have been a good yeah, one. Yeah, that would have been a good one. Yeah. I don't know if he has that on his card, though. What, Nyan cat? No, feline, fierce felines we were playing. Oh, I don't the game challenge. Oh, I know how to test it. So watch the list speed. Well, it isn't too much faster. Yeah, it didn't look that much faster at all, actually. Or I remember I don't run this basic that much, so. So this should be advanced. So this is regular speed. 0.895. Looks the same. That's a little slower. Do I need to do a timer? Well, just hit break and do the regular speed up poke do a list again. Let's see how fast that is. And then. And we'll do this. I wonder if Ed Snyder's watching. <laughs> I wonder right now if we could, if we could try the slow speed poke later. I don't know. 
Oh, it doesn't remember to print the timer. Oh, well. Okay, so now poke. A5. Yeah. Yep. No, 5A it was. No, A5. Last time. Oh, that's right. Ha. Sounds Canadian. Now, did you notice the speed up there, Bob? So that took about seven seconds. Seven seconds. That didn't make a difference. <clears throat> Weird. Nope. That's right out of the programming manual for it. <clears throat> and I know that's what we do in Nitrous 9, so I'm kind of confused why that's not working. Maybe it's something to do with basic. I don't know. Could be OHS syndrome. Well, if you do it at home and not online, it'll work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure nobody's looking and I'm not recording. I mean, yeah. there's a small chance he's got a really old version of the firmware that didn't have that enabled yet. And you may have to flash the uh, the firmware up to a, a more recent one. That's possible. But that 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 feature has been in there for quite a while. Hmm. It's another I'm, gonna, I'm looking for my play command. I've got some music, and that would probably be a good indicator. Well, if you got the exact same time listing, I mean, that's pretty well showing it's not yeah. not doing three megahertz. Well, as we can see, the the computer's faulty. You'll need to send it to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of us. Now, don't forget, Terry's got first dibs. Gonna make it a community machine. Yeah, keep handing it around. <laughs> it's a rental. Wasn't there a movie about a pair of pants or something that that happened to? Traveling pants. Yeah, so sisterhood of the traveling pants. Yeah. yeah, something like that. Looking for my little music routine. Don't know where I put it. I love the keyboard on this too. It's a pristine deluxe keyboard. Did I drop off the stream? No. No. Nope. Okay. We're just agreeing with you. Everybody went quiet. Yeah, We're I all just remember. basking in that awesome green glow that uh, all it needed was to be pushed back in. Yeah. 
Well, it's times like this, I wish there was a search function in basic. There is in basic on nine. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's see what happens if I just run it. Oh, that's why. It's not in the... Uh, oh, this mouse isn't going to do that, is it? Trying to use my PC mouse. <laughs> well, if you have an adapter, it will. Do not have. Yeah, shameless plug. I love my mouse adapter. <laughs> You're biased, Mr. Ladd. You designed it. Well, at the time, I wanted a PS2 mouse adapter. So I made one. And I like it. And it works really good. I just got a text back from uh, Kieran because I asked him because they're at the, the pub right now. I said, if you guys want to call in and say hi, and we can say hi back uh, for all the people that came to the show. And he said, ah, I can't see that working way too loud here. I wouldn't hear you. You wouldn't hear us. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> he's not in a stupor, is he, where he'd fall out of the chair? Well, they've had some pints. Yep. Could be. <laughs> Yeah, he's working on it as we speak. Yes, they're still in active mode, hence the noise. I would say the speed of this is, yeah, there's nothing any faster here. Yeah. I wonder yeah. if it maybe doesn't work in basic or something. That's too bad you don't have the, the Gimme X version of uh, Nitro Stein download and see if that works. Figure out what these buttons do. That screen drew pretty quick. Yeah, one of the buttons changes your artifacting mode, uh, simulated artifacting. You can do the pure four colors. You can do no color. You can do the sort of MAME style where it does the other colors you know, beyond red and blue. I'm getting that, but I, uh, it's not. And I think the other one does the vertical scan lines on the VGA or something like that, if I remember. Puts in the. Yeah. Which I never did like. I pixel it every time. Yeah, right. Because on a real CRT, those kind of bleed together. It doesn't look like you've got these black lines going through it like that. So these colors are reversed, and I can't figure out how to get it right. It only F one. Reset F one will do it. Oh, the reset F one. Yeah, okay. I forgot F one and in my program actually switches the color set. So reset F one. Yep, that'll force the. Uh, no, yeah. mind you, on the on the Gimme X, that may not do anything because it kind of forces RGB. Well, maybe I don't know. You have to try and see. Running without a stick, too. Maybe the lose. Can you set that to boot on a particular um, font? That's correct. Was it correct before? Did you show the one before? No, that one before, but let's see. Whoops. Yeah, that's correct. So the F1 reset did switch the color sets. For P mode. Okay. 
That must be the new age uh, Popeye with no um, pipe. Yeah, I think uh, I actually had a Popeye shaped radio, and that's what I copied, and it didn't have a pipe with it. So, well, well plus smoking is no longer the end thing. So. Yeah, that's it. Let's see. Oh, nice. My res graphics area. They're making sure that you've seen it. <laughs> anyway, maybe come back next week and kind of. Yeah, for sure. Show us when, once you get some other software downloading <laughs> stuff for it. Right. <laughs> and show us what you'd put in those slots, the run at slots. Good work with the PC. Okay. I just cool. especially for the audio listeners, that's gonna be a pretty boring segment. We just did. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, a lot of dead space. So who else had uh, updates? I think Rick did, um, Brian obviously, uh, and acquisitions. Anybody else? No. Okay, so which one of the two of you wants to go first? Here, I'll, I'll, I'll do this one since since it's really quick. Okay, go ahead, Rick. Okay. Um, I guess public service part first. Where am I? There I am. Um, so if you have a Coke IO, it doesn't work and you haven't got an email from me, I have all of these chips that I need to pass out. So get in touch with me, um, Rick at computerconnect.com or <clears throat> by the show or by chat or Discord or any other way you can get in touch with me so I can get you a chip and fix your card. There's is this hip. like a uh, car recall? Kind of. I put a new firmware chip in it, and uh, it works on all Cocos now instead of just mysteriously not working on some of them like it was doing before. Um, so, like, and, the airbags won't go off by mistake? Exactly. It's not going to shoot your knees through your eye sockets or anything. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're wow, making... what's the fun in that? <laughs> I'll just put your feet up on the dash when you drive. Um, And then good news, I'm making progress on the self-booting network card, so that's going. Uh, Other things that I was, uh, I found my DS69 and knew I had some pictures for it. They aren't as good as I remember. Oh, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's a shady, and then here's another shady character. From the old off the hot days, the occasional Friday night hanging out club. That's when you had a baby beard. Uh, no, that's that's no, brother that's Jeremy. You, yeah, that's before, right. Uh, the the original guy with the beard. Oh, okay. Uh, with his Corvus network card that he was very proud of acquiring at the time, so that was good. Oh, and another public service announcement. Um, I was catching up on Taylor and Amy and got to their oscilloscope or whatever they call it, oscilloscopy. Um, show and so I dug behind my uh, trusty analog scope and dang it I've got a blanking input so now I'm going to have to buy a scope trex and build it <laughs> what I does can't it not do? have one it's a, it's, a, it's a Vectrex for your oscilloscope oh. so you can play all your Vectrex games but it's hard to use because you have to have a scope with a blanking input and they aren't that common anymore Dang it, I've got one. So now it's it's a GitHub project. I'm going to have to download the project and get all the parts and because I've got to have this thing. 
I can you just hear the disappointment in your voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm really just so tore up about it. You can, you know, you can just see me crying here. Are we so, going to uh, see results this year yet? On this thing? Mm-hmm. No, this will be after the Cocoa Fest. I'm sure between now and the Cocoa Fest, I'm Cocoa Festing. But uh, after that, I'll have all the parts in hand by then. And new toy. What do you got stacked up back there? Oh, not much. Just same old things. That's where you usually draw draw your goodies from. My racket chips I've got to fill up. Oh, yeah, I've got my burner here. So during the news, I can get all these chips programmed. So get some good out of this show today. That's what the news is for, for people to catch up on things they they need to do in the background. Now, do you you also (laughs) make uh, ROMs, like uh, extended color basic ROMs? I can. You can? In fact, well, that... That first demo that I showed you was actually the, uh, where was it? This thing. What I did was copy the disk basic ROM onto the Atmel flash RAM and stuck it in there. And it boots disk basic, kind of a useless form of disk basic since there's no actual disk hardware. <laughs> mm. but, but it boots it. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I wonder if you could play with a multi-pack. HTB DOS. Boot oh, disk basic from the Coco IO board, but run the floppy controller. I got to try that just to see if we can do it. Well, as, as David, as David just said, HTB DOS. Well, but the, the whole point is to, it's just, this is stupid. Why would you run this basic <laughs> on a card that doesn't have any disc hardware in it? Because it's such an incredibly dumb thing to do. That's because you can do it. <laughs> yeah. I think I could poke the slots in the multi-pack so that the, the CTS, the no, cards. The- what you do is you set you send a, com- a computer out with that in it <laughs> to a new user. So no. Figure that one out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the drive drive wire ROM. No, yeah, but see, I was thinking HDB DOS for drive wire, but with the Ethernet protocol stacked in it. Well, <laughs> you haven't. Um, that that's well. I guess Mikey's working on drive wire for this card. And uh, Henry Strickland has the Lima boot thing already going, which is a run at four from your if SDC. This, yeah, if this was plugged in, you could run at four from this SDC and boot Lemma and go into his network stuff. The videos on my website blog show that process, which is pretty cool because it just kind of pops into the game alive for you know, some, or, some of us are wondering what the gizmo is on the right. We're right. It's a it's a multi pack with no clothes on, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I just pulled the multi pack out to plug this thing in to check the boot chip work. Just a naked multi pack. No, normally you just cram the multi pack in the side and away you go. <laughs> so. This is the unfortunate multi pack that it's all socketed now because everything that's in it's been blown out twice. You know. Jeez. And, uh, so it, it stays caseless. So you know. that's your smoky board. Yeah. If, if you see any chips uh, issuing fumes, you just pop them out, pop in a new one, and away you go. <laughs> cool. Except for if they're the ones that are rare. Aren't there a couple that you can't? Not on this. Not on not... the old multi pack. They're oh, all okay. They're all common. Cheapest all chips. Right. So that's why that's I like using. Thing. Exactly. Greatest thing having a uh, the t- the uh, full TTL version of the multi pack easy to get the parts. Hmm. So Bob, did that uh, thing I sent you a note on work? 
Yeah, I was just typing in a reply in the chat, but I guess it'd be better to say it out loud. Yeah, I uh, did the 5A instead of A5, and yeah, it definitely speeds up the basic listing. It's now down around Ooh. four seconds. Yeah, I forgot the original version of the manual had a couple typos on some fairly critical pieces. That was one of them. <laughs> that was one. <laughs> yeah. so I, now. I was, I was right show earlier. Us. Yeah, you were, actually. Ah. All right, so we'll go back to... All right. All right, you're highlighted again. Go ahead and show. Going back to normal speed. Twist. Okay. <laughs> Part of this is basic was sloppily written for doing text screens for 80 column, by the way. This could be sped up quite a bit, even on regular speed. A bit of rewrite of the basic routine. Now, um, seconds. Don't things move faster in uh, VCC if you um, put that... Uh, slider all the way over to 75 megahertz Probably. megahertz or whatever it is uh-huh so the that stop at normal speed that was 15 seconds to list so regular high speed should be seven second seven seconds again yeah that's faster About seven and a half, yeah. And then, and if you watch the cursor, you can even see it. This looks fast. Now it's a blur. Well, we can't see the cursor. It's a blur both ways for us because <laughs> we lose frames here. <laughs> right. All right. So, list. Uh, one, two, Three, four, five, about four and a half seconds. So I would say, yeah, fully three times faster than a stock listing. Yeah. So that uh, it does work. Like the, the original version of the manual, like I said, had some mistakes and they have to update the manual with all the new stuff that's been added anyway. So. All right. And there's absolutely no function for that, right? <laughs> what do you mean function? I mean, you, that's having it scroll fast is not really something we want. Oh, no, you can speed up your basic programs by that speed, yeah, too. Could, like, Fierce felines would be a great example of that. I could modify a color fog to take advantage of that, and then it would uh, run even yeah, All the graphics strong would be faster. Everything's faster. I don't have a joystick it's, here right now. It's not just the listing; it's the whole, the entire basic. Yeah, all right. Yeah. So, you know, the entire I, computer. I, yeah. I wonder how it would render the um, high color too, um, because when you make, I'm it pretty faster, sure I haven't tried it, but I'm pretty sure that Socks high color does a lot of uh, timer stuff based on changing the H sync and V sync. H sync and V sync do not change; otherwise, your screen would go bonkers. Because um, um, I'm I imagining it, it probably would not. It might speed up the rendering, like it might do the calculations yeah, faster, yeah. but it won't be able to do the drawing any faster because it's still going to lock into 60 hertz and 15.75 right. kilohertz. Well, the display, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, you'll need a monitor that can handle, you know, like 24 kilohertz horizontal and 90 hertz vertical or something like that.
Okay. Anyway, uh, that, that's cool. It, it definitely is working. And uh, if, yeah, if you patch color fog, you can maybe come on next week and show us how much faster it actually draws all your little graphic stuff. Okay. Yep. Brian, you yep. ready? I don't yep. think you heard you. Did he? He did. Activate right, get, Weasler Vision. You're up. <laughs> okay. Oh, a couple of things here. The first one here might uh, tickle David Ladd's fancy a little bit. Let me switch cameras here. You have a wall of floppies or what? Let <laughs> <laughs> me um, pick the right. Uh, here we are. Here we are. Mm-hmm. Got this here. It was an owl uh, floppy drive system. Um, it's a single height. But uh, Owlware made uh, made some disk drives out there, and this was one that uh, that they had, and even uh, we got it with their controller too. No, it's long like like that because it has a power supply in the back. I believe so. That's well, I, I don't think it's any longer than a than a regular five hundred or five hundred one or five hundred two. Well, same reason because right. there's a yeah. power supply in it the might, back. It might just look longer because of uh, you know because of the way I got it orientated here, but it's not any longer than a regular you know uh, floppy drive. So, but, uh, I, I hadn't seen, uh, I've seen these in the, seen them before, but I'd never actually, uh, this one came up, uh, available and, uh, picked it up, but, uh, uh, had the covers off of it here so we can see the inside. It's a nice clean, clean drive there. Let me, uh, zoom in a little bit here. And yeah. And we also later sold, uh, sassy and I believe even SCSI hard drive systems. Plus they made their own software too. Oh, yes. Yep. And this is a dual head drive. Um, and the good part, it does work. Yes. Yep. So it has the uh, the insert in there, and uh, just to keep the drives are protected. But uh, uh, get in there, lock. There it goes. Okay. Mm, and all the voltages, so any drive will fit. Yes. Yep. Nice. And uh, it has the cable, kind of like the five hundred two here. Let me uh, slide this just for a little bit. You know how the five uh, the the five hundred two had that bundle, that round cable, and uh, with the heat sink, uh, kind of a Kind of very similar to the way the that Tandy did the uh, the 502. And uh, here's what the inside of the 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 controller looks like. Let's see, will it focus there? There we go. Here, let me flip it around here. There we go. That, that case almost looks like the J and M case. Actually, is it made it of metal too? Yep, it, yep, it's metal and it has the the two screws on there, uh, very much like the J and M. You're right. So what's the controller chip in that one? Yeah, seventeen seventy three, seventeen ninety three. Yeah. You can't read it. Uh, sys sixty five ninety one. Yep. What the hell? I, I didn't know what that is. Never heard of that one. I think it's Symbolics is the name of the company. S Y. So they must have been an authorized second source. They made their own chip number. Yeah, and it does have a Tandy ROM in it. And what would the other uh, empty one be for? Another ROM? You could put put another ROM in here, and you may have the option. There is a switch right here, a switch jumper. So you probably, you know, you could move the jumper to move to a separate ROM, or you could even wire an external one if you wanted to, I suppose. Do you know if this requires 12 volts, or does it uh, only need 5? That I'm not sure about, 100%. I acquired some Fujitsu chips for the original, um, what, uh, the 20, uh, 30, 26, uh, 22s, I, I guess they were. 
Like those 88 something or others? Doesn't uh, that say JFD on the side? It, it says JFD. Coco 3. Yep. It does. It, it, yeah, it does say Coco 3 there. It works on my Coco 3. And I don't is the Coco 3, does that put 12 volts out on the ROM? No. No, so yep. you need a multi pack. So then that would answer the question there then. So and well, I, here we go. SY6591, single 5 volt power supply. It's dated November of 86 there, so that's pretty early in the Coco 3's lifespan. So Center Center Tech actually made the chip. That's cool. Yeah, I can't remember what the J&M's motherboard looks like. I wonder if it's basically modeled after that as well as the case, because that well, had dual uh, ROM switching too. Funny you should what... say that. Funny you should say that, Curtis, because <laughs> I, I, I do have another show and tell piece that uh, nice little timely. It's, it's, uh, I haven't cleaned it up yet, though, but uh, let, me, uh, let me zoom out just a little bit here. So I, I also got this uh, uh, this week. Oh, let me go. Uh, there we go. Hmm. So, I mean, kind of similar. I mean, it uh, it does have the uh, six six five nine one. Yeah, it's the this is the same the same chip. Is in the um, uh, is in the J and M, and at least this particular version of the J and M. This says rev. This is a rev zero on the board here. It says JFD on there too. JFD yep. Coco. So I wonder if that was designed by J&M the same as the original, and then I'll bet you. Roger just resold it through Owlware. Well, I'll yeah, bet you. Possible. Or made an layout. Owl version. Yeah. Because this only has a single socket for the ROM. There's no additional ROM. Not, and some of the J&Ms did have a second socket, and they're different versions. Yeah, mine of the did. Port. And a parallel port. <laughs> yeah, because uh, um, let's see here. I have the screws in this one. Oh yeah, the screws are in this one here. It takes Allen wrenches, but as you were saying, like here's the case. This is the J and M here, mm -hmm. um, but uh, the case is very similar. So yeah, it's possible, like you guys are saying, that they may have <laughs> made they may have, oh, yeah. have made them for Owl. Yeah, and they same the, art and everything. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Actually, is Jason still on the call? Because if I remember correctly, Owlware is actually based out of Pennsylvania, so I was wondering if maybe he lived close by. He might have known them back in the day. I did not. Because I know he, the guy that ran at Roger, I'm trying to remember his last name, but he was uh, pretty instrumental in the local club there. And he used to give the club members deals on stuff below rainbow prices. From the newsletters I've seen. Okay, yeah, I'm not, not familiar. Okay. So, but uh, no, I was just, uh, it was a nice clean system, nice clean drive there. And uh, so I grabbed it up there and uh, yeah, I was happy to add it to the other groups of drives that I have and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Later on in the, in the late eighties, um, when the Coco three was starting to die out, you know, after Australia quit selling it, then Canada quit selling it. Uh, Iowa started getting into selling PCs too. So they also sold, you know, 286, 386s as well under their name. Okay, there's that there. Cool. Does anybody else want to see anything else with it? If not, I'll go on to the next item. Who? Right? Who? Boom. Who? Okay, let's see here. And uh, well, we just saw the one item there. I was yeah, this is the next thing I was going to show there. It was just this was on eBay just as the board itself, and so I kind of I grabbed that up. I do have a couple cases, 
I'm going to see how well it fits in there. There's the plastic case, not the metal case. Um, What's the ROM? Uh, unsure. Doesn't say on it. No, just has a sticker cover in the window. So, but uh, so there was that that I picked up. Oh, what else we got here? What? So. got this here this is the the, the p uh, pbj ink you know they made these 512k let me zoom in a little bit here yeah the coffee warmer there you go yeah so, they made them early right there we go so there's that one there i already had one of these boards already um let's see if i can get them both into the screen here let me zoom out just a little bit here there we go so this is the one that I just got, the one that's on the black there. This is the one that I had already. And this one, and you can see there's a few differences here. This uh, this does on the board here, does say Rev A. I can't find any version to a, a, a Rev uh, reference there. But you can see here, this used the little blue caps. And this one here had a few resistor packs and uh, uh, these uh, yellow would be the caps for this one here. So there is a little bit of a layout difference. Different size capacitors here. So I'm not sure what version of the board this is, if this was a, a later version, but they didn't put uh, any uh, any reference to a version that I've been able to find, unless maybe it's underneath one of these sockets uh, on a silk screen. And then I got Is, is the copyright year the same on both? Yeah, but it does say C1986 uh, on, on both of them. Oh, okay. Let's see the bottom. Nothing really too much there. Do they have stops on the... Yeah, they do. There's a manufacturer on that one. It says 0487. So it's most likely made in the fourth week of 1987. Okay. Yeah, and this one here is kind of covered up here. Can't quite see what it says there. N NCC1. Uh, is that really a, bo a bodge wire? wire? <laughs> no, it's just some ink. It's, oh. a, it's, a, um, it's a QC stamp. Oh, I see it now. Yeah. What's on the line above it? In here, yeah, both the next the line above it. Um, it says NCC one, and the next line down says ninety four V dash zero. Oh, huh. Anyway, I just thought it was kind of interesting there the the, the different uh, versions that were available. You know, as they kind of either. Mod, I'm assuming maybe modified things to improve things, or maybe availability, and so depending on what was available. Well, hopefully um, they work. I haven't plugged it in yet, but uh, like added the resistor problem. packs to uh, maybe they run a little cooler. Yeah, yeah. Or added pull-ups. Yeah, because this could have probably because this this is a version A here, so I would like to think that this is maybe a later version of their board. Do you see where it says uh, the version that you pointed to, and then the other side has a black line? What's that's, the a black? That's, a, that's a resistor pack. Resistor packs. Okay. The one on the right has better, the caps are better situated too because you want them as close to the chips as possible. And if you look at the left one, there are caps at the bottom of the board, but then you have to go all the way up. Those like the don't, top row. Yeah, yeah, the top, top row, row doesn't have any caps. It's sharing those that are way far away that belong to the bottom row. Versus here, where I like that. Yeah, where these caps here are probably taking care of both of these chips here, and they're much better situated to do that. Yeah, eh, 
knows, yeah. but I like it. Yeah. And the right. resistor packs kind of imply, okay, we tweak the circuit a little. This works better, a little cooler. Yep. Mm. So, okay. So I also got that there. Let me slide this off to the side. Uh, what else do I want to show you? So I recently picked up a copy of this here from uh, Glenn. Oops. Soundtracks. Yeah. Soundtracks there. So, yep. Uh, he had, he, he's had these out there on eBay for a while, and uh, uh, him and I started chatting about this, and uh, um, he gave me a little bit a uh, little bit better price than he had out there. But uh, I, I didn't have an original copy of it. Uh, I do have most of his software that was sold through um, Jim Davis, uh, Sundog, Sundog. Well, this was through the yeah, oh, directly from Sundog. Yeah, Sundog Systems here. So I didn't have an original copy of this. So yeah. That's actually that a pretty that. cool program. It's up to four voice at once played on the keyboard and you can record and. Okay. Um, you can also um, edit sequences after you record them. And I think you can actually control the voices separately too, if I remember. Okay. Cook with would, so, would something like that use the two meg board and, or, you know, eight? No, this one does not. There's one from Oblique Triad that uh, does support one meg and higher. Okay. Studio Works, I think it's called. Pro. Uh, let's see here. Then the last thing I wanted to show today here, let me uh, just kind of rearrange here so I don't uh, make a little uh, sound of crashing stuff. Uh, okay. I'm going to go ahead and take it out of the box. It did come with the original box and the styrofoam and everything, but I won't, uh, I won't bore you with that. So are you done buying cocoa boxes? <laughs> right. Surely you jest. <laughs> hey, is that uh, what's with the uh, break key? No, we'll, we'll talk there's about extra it. function keys in the bottom too. That's we'll probably an HGL fifty seven so, keyboard. I'm guessing it is. Yep, that's uh, that's the reason why I picked this one up. Um, is it did have this version of the keyboard, and what kind of caught my eye is that it does have the two, the F one and F two, and the F three and F four. Uh, on the keyboard, but what kind of caught my eye because I I do have a, a a couple of these keyboards is here here's one of them that I happen to have and you can see here that this one here has pretty much all white keys where this one here had gray keys with the extra keys being white and so I thought that was kind of interesting you yeah, know they that mixed uh, it up a little there. right I mean was it maybe this was what was available to them at one time and then this wasn't available so they had to switch to all white keys or vice versa. You know, maybe this was the first version. Um, I'm unsure, you know, if it was just a case of availability. Um, the the break, break key looks quite a bit darker on, on your one that's inside the Coco, is it? Or is that just the camera? No, um, I'm going to see if I can't scrub that off. It looks like somebody might have put like black permanent marker over it. It's it, you can <laughs> you can see that it's kind of like uh, you can see it going over the edge here and stuff like that. It's, it's just black markers. It, it still was. says break. Yeah, you can still see break through it. Why they would have done that. I don't know. Somebody. Maybe there they thought they could disable the break key by just wiping it out with a black mark. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, and uh, but, another neat thing is that case is white underneath the uh, silver. Yeah. The later Coco One cases were. Yep. You can see the right, the right uh, wrist rest part wore off the paint. Yep. I think I left the screws off. Yep. I did. So. Now, Holy crow, also, what is all that? <laughs> right. Well, I didn't realize that it, you know, because the pictures on the uh, on the listing weren't very 
very clear about this, but uh, there was a composite mod that had already been done with this one here. Um, I can't remember what version of this was, but they come with little. It comes with a little satellite board, so you can take the 1372 and pop this into the socket, and then the 1372 goes back onto here where it picks up these uh, picks up the signals to go to the composite board, and it sticks with some double-sided tape right on top of the RF can. Um, double-sided tape's getting a little weak though, and then it has a clip here. I think is this picking up the voltage? I think, or I can't remember if that's the voltage or the audio. That might be for audio. Probably the audio. Audio. Okay. And uh, so it has a little the little composite board, and uh, so yeah, that was I. I wasn't expecting that until I took the cover off, and it's like, oh, okay, because this was all inside there. But so this is, that is the nice sixty-four K. I haven't fired this one up yet to see what it is, but the jumpers are on sixty-four K. Okay. Is that so one of the newer? Yeah. Is I that one of the newer boards? That's an F uh, board, yeah. Yeah, this is a, a, th a three thousand four uh, A. Well, what's what's the paper there? Here. Yeah. Well, because this is metal and this is metal, I don't know if it was because it was vibrating or if they thought it was a little bit of insulation. <laughs> I don't know. So to insulate it so it wouldn't uh, touch each other. But this is grounded, and so why having this? You know, they, if they didn't want it to touch the metal there, I'm not. I'm not sure for their. Uh, why this was there? I just left it there. I haven't had a chance to really. But go there's nothing printed on the inside of it, like. Uh, no, it's just a piece of cardboard. It's a piece of cardboard that they just had wedged in there, just. To, but it has the little uh, 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 HDL um, sticker right there, and it's the same type of ribbon, the ribbon cable ones that were that that I just showed you. So it's pretty long, huh? Yeah, it comes from the front of it, and so it has to wrap all the way to get to the back here. So. Well, but, they gave uh, me some no, extra length to cut it down. <laughs> right? <laughs> Fix it a bunch. Yeah. Well, what's yeah. the actual um, 26 number on that computer? Uh, I just shared that. It was 3004A. Oh, 4A? Yep. So, but uh, no, nice nice clean board on the inside. Uh, this mod's kind of nice because it really doesn't solder up into any wires. I mean, you could pull this uh, chip out, put the, put the other chip back in, unclip this here, and this mod's out of here. So. Um, I'm not sure if that was a, if this was a, was this a production type thing that was available? I, I can't find any. There was a clip on one from Mark Data, the universal adapter, I think was designed as a clip on so you could reverse okay. it. Ken, you've, you've fiddled with those, haven't you? Is Ken still on the go? <laughs> How do the wires go out of the case? Yes, I'm still here. And yes, I've fiddled with those and, um, I have really bad luck with them. Same. Hmm. Those three wires, they cut a square hole beside the RF out. One of them is color composite, one is monochrome, and one is audio. They're not labeled, are they? And uh, no. And the the composite artifact colors, every single one of those I've seen, they're they're shifted from red and blue to green and purple. Oh. <laughs> Is that because time has gone by and values have changed or because it's a poor um I think it's I mean they've I think they've always been that way from day one because huh. they affect the capacitance of the circuit the uh Well you wouldn't think they'd let something like that leave incorrect. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean it was an aftermarket thing so I imagine if it was sold at Tandy they would have forced it to be right. I don't think I've ever had a problem with color shifting. It's uh, 
actually getting color out of it that I always have the problem with. They always seem to stop working for me and switch everything to black and white. Ah, wrong output. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, I I don't know. Just dodgy connections usually. Yeah. But I do like these boards though because the everything is uh, well not everything but most everything all the all the main chips processor and stuff like that it's all socketed i really yeah. like I, I like that yeah and they're easy to upgrade to 64k there's no cutting or soldering wires or anything weird right. like dna and c boards so that has ex extended to, color basic yeah and uh the only thing is you do have to pull the board so you can get this cover off because the, the the cover goes through the board and then there's tabs that are folded underneath so you can't just pop this off like some of them uh so, usually just gotta have the right tool again. my experience is you just pull it off Oh, well, the, the metal tabs that are in the corners there were folded over pretty good. I tried to yeah. kind of see if I couldn't coax it along, and uh, I yeah. figured, well, at some point in time, I'd just take the board off so I could bend the tabs back. Uh, a spring hook helps. Oh, okay, to get from to get underneath it, and yeah, to pull the tab yeah. down more straight, then you could pull top pop the cover off. Yeah, I could I could pop these here, but I couldn't quite get to the back corner from the front there. But uh, I suppose a spring hook would, uh, if you get at the right angle underneath there, you could probably get to it. So yeah, not a bad idea. So what is the actual board number or name? You know, is it a... That's an F board. F, yeah. Yeah, otherwise known as the 285. Yeah, you can see the number right here, the 285 right here. Mm. That, and that's in a different spot, right, than some of the boards? Yep. Yeah. Usually you see it over here by the ROM side. Yeah. Or the uh, ROM cartridge. I, aren't all the F boards on where that's showing right now? I thought it was just CD and E's that were under the cartridge slot there. Yeah, right. It is, yeah. Anyway, but uh, yeah, it has the insert that's uh, that's uh, that's stuck on the inside right here. To, you know, to fill in the the border there. So yeah, it's not white, is it? Inside? No. It's just a very nice, very clean. Yeah. So there we go. Okay, dokie. Anything else? How many nope. screws did it have? <laughs> What's that? How many screws did it have? I don't know. Yeah. Seven. It had seven screws because it has the center oh, okay. post. All right. Yep. All right. Well, do we have anything else for project updates? And cat, you're gonna have to get off my lap. <laughs> I take it that's a no. So shall we do a commercial break and then the game on results? Sounds good. Yes, do it. Hey, Amy. It's your good buddy, your good pal, Amigo, and joined by that dastardly The Brent from ARG Presents. You're watching Coco Nation. I thought that should have been longer. The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. 
Alex Gare, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Kieran Anscombe, Coconut Bob, Daddy Burrito, Diego BF109, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Glenn Wabke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, John Budafkarschaller, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Kevin Holloway, Mike Rayburn, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, Terry Stege, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., Tony C., and William Athing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? Mistress of All Villainy says, Hey everybody, my name is Stephanie. I am the creator slash designer of a series of new retro computer based off the WDC65CO2 slash WDC65816 and the higher end Motorola MC68000, MC68040, MC68060. This year, I have created a 65CO2 pin compatible FNX6809 FPGA processor, running at 6.29 MHz, so it could work on the F256JR, mini-itch form factor, and F256K, keyboard style, that are both compatible with the pinout of that chip. I invite everybody to go take a look. I am a hardware design engineer by trade, been doing it for ages. Morgan Donahue says, Hello everyone. My name is Morgan. I'm into Coco's 1 and 2 and MC10s. I help my dad Brendan on installations with Coco VGA as well as Pikey. I also go to Coco Fest and Tandy Assembly with my dad. My dad invited me to this channel. I like to dink with electronics as well as write programs on retro computers. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to Alex Geyer, Boysen, Glenside Computer Club, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. See you on Discord! Welcome everybody to the Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Rear Guard. We had a total of 14 players. We had Brian Schubring with 1,110. C. Duris with 1410. David Ladd, 2605. Ed Rhodes, 3960. Rich N, 4310, Paul Shoemaker, 4690, Jim Rye, 4935, Sabhead, 4960, Sloopy Malibu, 5065, Canadian Retro Things, 5450, Tasman, 5965, Buck Owens, 6540, Shenley, 7055, and this week's number one score belongs to 
L. Curtis Boyle with 7630. Thanks, everybody Jesus. that played. We'll see you again next week. Holy crap, I beat the two experts? <laughs> yeah, Curtis definitely had the best photoshopping. Congrats. <laughs> I think I did that one live, didn't I? I didn't realize uh, that was the top score, though. Yeah, I think so. Well so, done. Yeah, really, all the scores were very, very close together. So. I'm so used to hearing those other two names at the top, I didn't think I <laughs> won anything here. It's Wow. And I did find one review for this game in Color Computer Magazine from October of 83. And that is right here. So basically this uh, um, article goes through. Oh. The uh, author liked the way the mountains move as uh, three-dimensional on the bottom of the screen. Uh, the graphics used to separate the foreground and background mountain ranges are nicely done, so the foreground range appears to be moving at a faster rate. Which is, uh, I think the just the Tandy versions are the only ones that did that. Yeah, the two uh, Model One, Three, and the Coco. Yeah, and uh, warns you about uh, yeah, you lose a shot if you uh, fire a second shot, but that can be used to your advantage. If you know you're going to miss, then you can fire and um, right away and make that first shot disappear. Um, you can go down in between the mountains and uh, his uh, main complaint was that if the, it would be nice if the motion was a little smoother and easier to follow in the game but found it very simple and enjoyable and it's a good game with nice graphics and lots of different bad guys. The jerky motion of the graphics take a bit out of your concentration. So, and I think that's basically the same thing that I had as a complaint is the kind of the jerky graphics. But if you played on level two, it got rid of the mountain range at the bottom and ran a lot smoother. Yeah, I totally agree with everything they said there too. Same thing. Yeah. So, yeah, basically he was just really, they're really pushing the uh, limits of the Coco on that game with the uh, parallax scrolling mountains at the bottom. I have a funny feeling it might be more of a programming issue. Or <laughs> pushing the limits of their limits of the ability. There we yeah. go. Yeah. How's that sound? Yeah. Or on a Coco one, that's quite a bit. Why not? Look at Lunar Rover Patrol. Or or the uh, Coco Towns, who's been doing his own moon patrol with the you know ground scrolling one speed, the mountains or the city going the second we've been covering the last few weeks here. All Both right. of those it's are the, smoother than fine, this. Fine, fine, fine. It's the programmer. <laughs> <laughs> he completed a game. He's ahead of me. I, you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, now, so, this was a, the first time we actually did the cross-platform thing. So, Ken, you did you try some of the other platform ones? Um, I only tried the TRS-A Model 1 version, trs D Model 1, because uh, I couldn't find an Apple version, as I had mentioned uh, last week on the live uh, gaming thing. Every Apple version I downloaded was just a copy of Trop Choplifter. Really? I found yeah. one. Oh, I never did. Every disc I downloaded either didn't work or was just a copy of choplifter hmm. i've downloaded from about six different sites 
backdoor, even better at piracy than the Apple II people is what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's a badge of honor or not. And Sloopy, you played the Atari version. Yeah. Yes, I did. And what did you think of the Atari version, sir? Um, it's obviously a very early game um, on the Atari before they really had any time to really understand the hardware. So it's quite limited. Um, the Coco version is definitely a little bit more fleshed out and uh, more complete, so to speak. But I mean, it was still a fun game to play. It was still pretty decent. It has good good sound. Yes, the Atari one. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think Nick, you pointed out, and I think I have to agree from the versions we've seen. And I should mention also uh, there was a C sixty four version announced, but as far as we can tell, it never got released. But the tier setting model one and three version, I think, plays the smoothest. I think it's actually probably the best of the whole batch. What's yeah, your opinion on that, is. Ken? And Nick and everybody else? Um, yeah, well, the, definitely the Model 1 version ran the smoothest. However, I would say it's pretty on par with the Coco version on Level 2. Oh, okay. Because that one ran really yeah. smooth, too. Minus the mountains. Yeah, if you got rid of the mountains, it ran quite smoothly and definitely a lot quicker. The Model 1 version does have good sound effects, too. Yep. But the Coco has the funny little sayings at the beginning of each level. Yeah, which I don't think any yeah, of the other versions yeah. had. No, <laughs> so that, that, that just puts it over the edge for the Model 1 version. And I did watch some videos of the Apple version, and it just basically looks like a Defender-type game. It, I don't even know how it fits into being rear guard because you're Fighting things coming at you from the front. Front. Well, the first version, first version was the Atari, and that has things from uh, from the uh, front as well, doesn't it? I mean, it's a bit odd. They called it rear guard. Right. You think rear guard? (laughs) Yeah, rear guard. The Coco and the TRS-80 version seems to be more in line with the title, Rear Guard, everything attacks from the rear. Yeah. Because I know I noticed that with some versions of the game, it just seemed like a standard horizontal shooter, but your ship was just turned around. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And with the C64 version, as uh, Curtis said, it doesn't look like it ever actually got released because... I did reach out to a bunch of people in the uh, Commodore world, and not nobody had ever heard of the game. So, yeah, though we yeah. did find it was an Adventure International's catalog. They actually mentioned yeah, it, but it was mentioned in an international, an Adventure International's catalog, and it is now posted on a website for uh, unreleased vid- uh, C sixty four games. Oh, okay. So I submitted it there to. See then, then if anybody actually has ever come across a copy of it, they can get a hold of me. So, there you go. You can learn how to program on a, on your Commodore sixty four and make it. Yeah, but I can't keep a Commodore sixty four working long enough to program on it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Why? Well, I haven't tried to upgrade them for you, have I? No. Now, Just actually plugging, plugging them in and turning the power on usually destroys them. Uh, the easiest way to fix that is remove any chip that says MOS. <laughs> uh, isn't that all of them? Pretty much. No the uh, pro the programmer of Rear Guard he did uh, Sea Dragon after after the uh, after Rear Guard right? I can't remember which one came first on the Coco, but yeah, they're both done by the same Kanaya software, which is uh, his name is Jim Hurd. He like I said uh, during the, one of the live streams, he's ended up being a, an editor or a, a column writer for PC Magazine or PC World. I can't remember which one. I actually got in contact with him like twenty years ago. When he gave us permission to, you know, make it free downloadable, downloadable games. Anyways, and as far as uh, tips and tricks, I yeah, don't really make have sure any. You use um, your shield. Just uh, don't yeah, forget, forget your shield. shield. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good one. A, certain levels that uh, ha- using up, like save your shield for certain levels, and uh, it makes those levels a lot easier. Oh, they're shields. Yes. <laughs> yeah. In fact, you can you can destroy the opponent's ships with your shield. You turn it on, and then when they run into you, they die. So yeah, ramming speed. Oh, I thought that was just part of the uh, target marker that they put on your ship so that they can find you easier. <laughs> and it's it's hard to get that gas nozzle and that floating. Yeah, I don't think I ever successfully got any gas from it. I, I have, but you got to like just flick the joystick really quick and you know not move too far and then you fire and then as long as you hit that little white nozzle every time you hit it your fuel goes up a little bit which makes perfect sense in the real world of course yep shoot the gas tank the, the gas pump. Tank. Yeah. and so it, it's kind of entangled time. into your engine i guess and it just moves it over there yeah. next time you're going to uh go to a gas station Shoot I'm going to try that. to get gas. <laughs> By the Again, way, on the way to not, Chicago, we're going to try filling up all the way there using that method. This is not real advice. Do not do <laughs> this. If you do do this, do not blame me. <laughs> yeah, I think it would have been a better idea for you to shoot, like, have the nozzle a little bit lower, and you shoot the uh, the top of the gas uh, pump. You turn it on. And then it shoots a like a ball of fuel out, then you have to go down and then catch it. That would have been a better method to do it, but. Well, definitely, uh, if the same author wrote uh, Sea Dragon, they definitely got rid of a lot of the jitteriness in Sea Dragon. Yeah, there's a bit of flashing when it's switching, clicking the screens, especially in level seven. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't run as jittery. Yeah, but he's scrolling the whole screen in that one. So, I mean, he's he. Did did better on the scrolling speed anyway because you play that on level seven it goes at a pretty good clip. Mm-hmm. Buck Owens is saying in the chat here later levels have familiar enemies the sub from Sea Dragon and the Buzzard Bait Critter yeah I hit the Buzzard Bait Critter myself during the live stream. I don't even know how many monsters there are because I I haven't hit a repeating one yet even on my high score. Nope. All right, so uh, if nobody else has any tips or tricks on this game. Nope. So why does Sloopy look so happy with a fly swatter? He's making lunch. lunch. <laughs> He's winning the fly game. Are those the flies um, from uh, Rick Adams? 
<laughs> oh, the, right, Clyde and yeah, Bonnie oh, right, Clyde. yeah, the ones at the <laughs> the home in the restaurant there. <laughs> they taste like raisins, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure so, you tried that on our behalf already, Ron. Right? Uh, my dog likes them. <laughs> she she can snatch them out of the air. Get some fresh. Good dog. <laughs> so the other game that we're playing this week is Furious Felines, the first one. Yeah, that, that we have to point out because I found the second one too, which uh, so we didn't know about because it's not on the archive. It's only on Diego's own site. So uh, basically a game where you launch cats at mice. Which is almost what Mark Mosley plays every day on the show. Yeah, pretty much. Except yeah. I don't know if he has mice in his house. They don't except, stand a chance. Except he <laughs> launches them at the door. So it's a uh, it's a fun little game where you have to basically it's kind of like the old uh, artillery duel games, except for one player, where you just got to figure out the weight of the cat that you're dropping, how high you're dropping it from, to launch another cat into the air to try and catch a mouse. So. Yeah, and avoiding walls and stuff. And it's got a bit of a real-time element, too, because the mice can move after the first screen, if I remember correctly, yeah. right? Yeah. Which is a bit different than most of the artillery. You're stationary. You just do an angle and a velocity. And here you have to kind of do it with different weights of cats. And there's also uh, a wind. Like, you've got a little wind meter at the top. To Yeah, yeah. most artillery's had that, but yeah. the, the well, moving target was a, is a bit of a difference. Yeah, just mentioning that this one also the, has that. It's the only game I've actually finished all the yep. levels. Yeah. And yes, Mark B finished live on the air, finished the game from start to finish. All not six. just not just level one, but the entire game. <laughs> all six <laughs> levels. Now, Mark, did you try the, the second version too? I did. Did I you did. finish all eight of those? No, not yet. Oh. Um, you still got a, another goal to we reach. have it for a game on challenge. <laughs> yeah, because uh, yeah, but now we can practice. Yeah, since it wasn't counting, um, but yeah, I do find the second game is is a little bit harder, um, a little bit more challenging. So uh, a little more practice on it. And we'll have to get uh, Bob to demonstrate it at two point eight six uh, megahertz next week and and see how it plays. <laughs> then. <laughs> All right, Mark and with e. that, Sloopy, did you want to talk about the uh, live game on challenge where Mark managed to? Beat all six levels. <laughs> I think he's forgotten where he is. <laughs> and he's muted. You're muted. <laughs> You've never sounded better. Is that better? <laughs> That's better. If we wanted to hear you, yes. <laughs> uh, Ron, yeah. Uh, yeah. Talking to Ron. Uh, yes, the Sloopy is fine. Okay. <laughs> um yes, we played this game Thursday. Uh, <laughs> He's forgotten the name of it already. <laughs> you chose it. Everything was swapped out of memory, got to swap it back in. And unfortunately, <laughs> we're using uh, MT RAM in this brain. Okay. So, Thursday we played uh uh Rear Guard obviously and uh Furious Felines which everyone seemed to have gotten at least through the um, first six levels. 
as was stated, including Mark B., which congratulations, Mark. How does it feel to complete a game? Wow. Yeah. It's just, it's just amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So I knew you could do it. Uh, Canadian retro things. I have a question for you. Yes. Yours is playing a lot faster than everybody else. Do you secretly have a gimme X or did you use an emulator and overclock it? Um, I probably am using an emulator overclocked. Well, I would say it's an emulator considering the bottom of the screen. Yeah, it's definitely, I'm running it on VCC. I have no idea. I may have changed at some point, changed the, maybe that's why I haven't been able to play any games but, lately on it very well. I think you're busted. You're killing yourself. That's why you got such a high score. I was using VCC as well, but I, I vote for you to be, uh, um, investigated for performance enhancing computers we're gonna call you billy mitchell from now on (laughs) oh god yeah we gotta call twin galaxies and tell them to pull the scores (laughs) oh uh, one thing i did want to mention about this game is i did figure out a cheat on furious felines if you complete the game and then you uh hit the go again yes it doesn't reset your score yeah, that's probably done by by. Uh, I, I thought about it, and that's that's probably done done on purpose. <clears throat> yeah, because doesn't it make it a bit harder? I think it said that in the directions, didn't it? Did it? I don't know. I didn't listen. That when Mark talks, <laughs> I don't listen. Okay, now I'm going to give you a a a real cheat. Okay, you see when you go up and you have like these walls that you're uh-huh. coming down on. All right, if you land. To the left of center, you'll go off to the left. If you land to the right of center, you'll go off to the right. Yeah. So if you're like on the uh, on the border about it, try to land towards the direction that you want to go within the walls. That's just a play mechanic. That's not a cheat. Yeah, I have to agree. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I th- pick this on Sloopy Day. This game was <laughs> a nice game. It did. I, I did <laughs> notice too. Though, I did notice too. Though when you um, continue from having won a game, it messes up the uh, level numbers too. Because mm-hmm. I think I I've completed the first level after um, having completed a game. It just added to my score, but then it said I've completed level five. Yeah. Mm. That's all. So. I don't no, it's know. a pretty good little game for basic. I quite liked it. Yeah. yeah. And the sequel does have some improvements, like there's extra gameplay elements. There's, there's two more levels. There's eight levels. There's a cheese that uh, you're trying to protect from the mice, and the mice will burrow through the walls. So uh, if you take too long, eventually we'll eat the cheese, and then you'll lose. Um, it also mice. extends the screen vertically to 225 lines instead of 192, so the game's taller. And those so are pretty tough a- mice because they're burrowing through uh, brick. Yeah. Well, they're extremely yeah. hungry, so they're motivated. <laughs> I think. Let's see. If I move forward, we can probably see what part two looks like. I think we've got... I played it for a little bit. 
Yeah, I did too. Yeah, so Curtis is there with the blue sky is part two. So that's kind of hidden. See if I can find where Mark starts playing it. Yeah, you see the cheese too on the far right kind of between some of the chat things. Probably read about there because I see the screen went back to basic. Because then it went back. Uh, I think you went too far. You can tell, too, by the wind markers, because on the first version, it's just uh, greater than signs, and then it's actually a little graphic on the the sequel. I don't know. I can't find where Mark plays it, so. I thought you were going to play Mark's, you know, finishing a game, because that, that deserves to be mortalized. There, you can see a little bit more of it there. So do we have to pick more strategy style games for you, Mark? Is that is that your forte? Mm, I don't know. I got the timing right on that one. Oh, there we go. Yeah, because he he didn't complete Sakoban or yeah, uh, yeah, Kokoban. There is Mark playing uh, part two, and he just launched a cat into space. Oh, <laughs> well, he does that every day on the show, so. Hey, I caught the mouse. Yay. All right. Well, Sloopy, if somebody wanted to join us to play the games live on the air, when and where would they do that? Oh, um, sorry. Um, we would you would uh, join the discord on Thursday around 8 p.m. Eastern time and have your joystick and either your emulator or uh, um, computer and capture card already set up and in the voice uh, discord. And what if you really hate the games that we're playing? Then uh, you get better priorities and learn to play good games. Oh, okay. <laughs> or, but, or you could just play any Coco game you want. Are you saying I could have played a different game instead of this cat game that yes. you picked? Even Th- personal you picked. finance, too? <laughs> and I didn't playing. have to suffer through level one on it? And of course, we now have the option, too, if it's a multi-platform game, you're encouraged to try out some of the other platforms if you have access to them via emulator or real hardware like we did with RearGuard. Except for Atari's. No, we try them because they're inferior and we like to gloat. So, <laughs> Actually, we don't get to do that very often, so we're going to take advantage of that anytime we can. <laughs> All right. So that is uh, the live game on, on Thursday nights. So... Yeah, all the cool people are hanging out there, so you should show up, too. All five of us, darn it. Yep. Hey, we had seven the other day. 
So all right. Well, we're gonna be playing Furious Felines for one more week. That's part one. Yay. And for the other game that we're gonna be playing, does anybody know this game? Yep, Ken Kalish. I know I don't know this game name. Anybody other than Curtis? Anybody? Anybody? Feeler? Feeler? It looks sort of like River Raid almost. It it is based on River Raid. In fact, Raid is part of the name. It's Dungeon Raid, which is our version of River Raid. Only you're a guy walking through a dungeon. Yeah. And this one's way more frustrating. Very frustrating. So have fun. It's a (laughs) dragon game. (laughs) Sloopy, if you hated Furious Felines, oh boy, wait till you try this. (laughs) I noticed that there's there's a very... Um, common theme on Coco as opposed to other machines. Like on the Atari, there's a lot of space themed games. On the Coco, there seems to be a lot of dungeon themed games. Uh, fair number, yeah. There's a few. Well, unless it's a dungeon in space. Space Dungeon is an arcade game. I used to love playing that one in the arcade. Or Temple of Rom. <laughs> Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. All right, well, that's the game for two weeks, so enjoy. And uh, don't shoot the messenger, I guess. Which one? Slippy for Fierce Felines or Ken for... (laughs) Take your pick. I just want to mention because uh, the dragon meetup is actually happening this weekend. They've finished the first day and are at the pub now where it's too loud for them to come on. I've got some pictures coming up. But um, Dungeon uh, Raid is one of the two Ken Kalish games that were done exclusively for the dragon because he got kind of fed up with publishers in the United States. And he, he said he got a lot better um, working with the UK people. Uh, so with the last couple of games he made for the dragon slash Coco were exclusively sold in the UK. Now, he and did sell plays, the Tandy. Coco was there because they were selling those as well, but he didn't publish again in the States. It very much plays like a European game. Yeah, impossible, pixel perfect. Yeah, yep. exactly. Frustrating. Everything, everything can kill you. <laughs> Even the yep. tiniest little pixel will kill you. Yeah. Even the explosions of when you hit things will kill you. Yep. So you got to learn to go between the explosion pixels. Yeah. Oh, we should mention because that's maybe people won't try this to be obvious, but you can vary the speed that you're moving yeah. by moving the joystick up and down, not just left to right movement. So if you've played River Raid on the Atari 2600, then uh, the um, mechanics are much the same. Yeah. I just I've seen some people like playing it on live or not live, live streams, but on, on YouTube and they don't know about the vertical. So they just go back and forth and die constantly. Yeah. You can die slightly less constantly if you know you can move up and down. <laughs> just a teeny bit. Uh, die intermittently. I like it. <laughs> die. I think you oh, I just got to die rapidly marketing. intermittently, maybe. Sorry, what? I think you missed your call in marketing there, Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> this game sucked. No, it doesn't. It's just really hard. This is this is definitely yeah, one where we can't even give you the advice of don't die. Just try not to die as quickly. <laughs> yeah. I have made it past the first couple levels because there's doors you have to blast through to get yeah. to each level. But yeah, it's hard. Okay. 
Well, before I get into Game On News, I've, I'll do a couple things first. So one, I wanted to just cover a couple of the shows coming up um, and mention a few that I'd missed previously that are it's too late to go to now. My apologies. And then I'll actually show some pictures and a couple quick videos that Kieran Anscombe, author of Dungeons, amongst other things, sent over from the Dragon Meetup today. So I'll do the uh, the shows first. There's just a couple to go through quickly. Did anybody ever figure out what the next VCF event is, just out of curiosity? Because we probably should keep plugging those. <clears throat> but I kind of lost track of which ones are coming up. If anybody figures that out while I'm yammering here, uh, feel free to share. Hey, you guys have seen that? Yeah. So this is the Dragon Meetup, which is today and tomorrow. Now, the today part, because they're, what, seven hours ahead of, well, roughly seven. It depends on where in the States of Canada you are, but they're a fair bit ahead. So it's already over for today. It is on tomorrow. So if you're in the Cambridge area in the UK, you can still make it for the second one. And as we mentioned last week, and as they mentioned here, it had to move due to some construction not being completed at the Center of Computing History. So you just have to go down the road about 20 minute walk to the Cambridge Museum of Technology. And some of the pictures we'll be showing from Karen actually show some of the technology, not just computer related. So there's some pretty cool stuff. It looks like a cool place to just visit as a museum. So anyway, that's on, uh, was on today and is again on tomorrow. Next is one I missed. This one's in Germany. Uh, it's called Retrospace 47. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. Duisburg, D-U-I-S-B-U-R-G in Germany. And... Um, there was somebody that mentioned it. They were hoping to have dragons at the show. The pictures I'm showing you here are from previous years. Um, this one I found kind of intriguing. Actually, I wanted to bring this one up here because this looks like 3D Breakout by Brit Monk on the Coco, except it's not. It's the same gameplay, basically. It was put up by Avalon Hill for the Coco back in 82. But uh, I'm not sure which platform this one's on. And I hadn't seen it on any other platform, so that's kind of cool. So anyway, that one apparently has happened multiple years in a row. Um, so I'll try to keep an eye out for it next year and announce it ahead of time for any of our uh, viewers and listeners that live in Europe and want to head over to Germany for a retro show. And of course, we got the Portland Retro Gaming Expo next week at the Oregon Convention Center in Portland, Oregon. And um, as usual, I will defer to Mark Overholzer, who's more familiar with this, is more in his uh, immediate physical area. Now, is this close enough for you, Ken, to consider going to or no? It is, but I'm probably not going to go because uh, I'm kind of tied up for the next couple of weekends. Oh, okay. It's four hours from Seattle to Portland. So, and then plus however long it takes from Ken to get from. Yeah, it would be, it would be six, seven hours for me, which isn't that yeah, far. Yeah, one way yet. Yeah. yeah. I thought not that far, but. And this is more about trying to, you know, compete for high scores. It's not a general retro computer show. Is that right? Yeah, or playing video games. They have a lot of arcade games set up you can play. Which yeah. is the reason I'd like to go, but... Uh, and yeah. by the way... Is, it, was, is this I've, that special project I heard about in email? I'm not going to say anything more, but is that what, what's tying you up? No, no. Oh, okay. Some personal stuff here at home. Okay. Um, I'm looking on the Vintage Computer Federation uh, uh, website, and... There is a February 17th and 18th is the VCF Southern California. April 5th and 7th is, to, is a VCF East. 
and June 14th to 16th is VCF Southwest. So Southern California, where is that? Is that by San Diego or LA or something? Or No idea. It just oh, says, okay. join our mailing list to find out more information. Well, don't, forget, don't forget yeah. about the New Jersey swap meet. Oh, yeah. And there's the New Jersey swap meet. October 28th. Oh, that's just in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's in Jersey. <laughs> Nobody goes to Jersey. I would if I could. <laughs> but I don't think that um, my life would be worth much if I went to uh, New Jersey the day before someone's birthday. Oh, you just take it along, right? They'd enjoy it. You Happy birthday. You want to tell Missy we're going to a uh, old computer stuff? Sale? As long as I get a lead start to run after I say it, sure. <laughs> I'll tell her she likes me. I'm like <laughs> you guys. You're across the country too. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> He's safe. So you got a little bit of time before she gets there. Yeah, the opposite <laughs> end of the continent. <laughs> You well, I should mention the chat here, Tom Eric Anderson, because I couldn't remember who the publisher was, but it was Microdeal uh, that published uh, Dungeon Raid. So, and it never was published anywhere in North America. So, yeah, that's that's covering some of the shows. I, we should get some more details on that one VCF you're mentioning there, uh, Ken. Uh, uh, the uh, Southern SoCal. Yeah, because that yeah. might actually be fairly uh, close enough to Wayne. He can just drive there. It just says details to be announced. Join the mailing list to be in the know. I guess I could join the mailing list. Okay. Yeah, because if it's in Southern Cal, that's probably not too far from LA. It might be San Diego, but that might be a like drive for the day, come back, not have to worry about hotels type thing. So, hey, I could go to that. It's only like 16, 17 hours for me to get to the California. Yes, yeah, straight down the coast. I've, I've done that yeah. trip numerous times. Okay. So, next up, I'm going to go through some of the stuff that Kieran sent me. So, maybe I'll do the videos first find them here. I don't have any context for photos and stuff here. So uh, this is obviously at the uh, Museum for Technology, not the Computer Museum. So you're going to see a lot of stuff kind of in the background. Almost kind of looks like a sewing machine, sort of. Might be. Live steam, baby. Yeah, it's some sort of... And then voila, dragons. <laughs> Dual monitor with probably any column card. She run away or something? <laughs> I don't know. Ooh, that's a Weiss 55 uh, terminal. There's a Fujitsu FM7 or FM something or other. One of the 6809s from Japan. There's one of the Brazilian ones. Paul Shoemaker's game. There's Karen's game, Dungeon. That's one of those uh, after those add-on power supplies in the drive. I was going to say, if you uh, if, if, as you notice a lot of those cases there, they um, they have all of the uh, replacement power supplies that have been out there, like that that, that John has made. Oh, that one, and that's that the one right there. Board. Yeah, that's yep, the purple. That's the replacement board that uh yep. was it uh, Jason Brown or Lieber made it or something? For the Dragon 32. Yeah. Yeah, because Karen did one for the Dragon 64, and then is it um 
Julian Brown sounds right. Julian Brown did the. Uh, actually, he's doing an updated one now. We'll cover that in the, in the news. But uh, he's he basically got the duplicate board working. Now he's adding extra features to it, and he's going to make a new board with enhancements. <laughs> They'll take your old dragon board, strip it, and make a new dragon. Yeah, just basically swap it in. It's got, it's got some pretty nice features on. We'll go through that in the news, though. He's even asking for some input on some further updates. Dragon so that was the first plus. video. And then I'll do the second video, which is <laughs> that's the JPEGs. Where's the video video? Ah, there we are. Yeah, and there's some like, is that a sewing machine there, or is that something else? That is that's a, a lathe. Or is it a lathe? Oh, yeah, yeah. I just saw the other side there. Yeah. It looks like a pretty good, interesting museum just to go to. Just you know, we're looking at old mechanical technologies and stuff too. But and that's got to be a steam engine there on the uh, far right, right in the olive. You could power the dragons from that. They still use lathe. There's one of the. Uh, Prototype dragons from earlier on. I'm just going to back that up a bit here. Right there. Oops, I to pause it. So this one here is the dragon. Is that the Alpha that was the dual drive built in? And then they had a professional they were working on that was also had two 6809s and an MMU and a bunch of other things. Transform. Yeah. <laughs> there and that's what's powering the whole building right now <laughs> yeah i was gonna ask is that the generator <laughs> it's steam i wonder if it's air uh that looks i like, can't quite read the sign that's that would <laughs> that's be a hmm. that looks to be a fuel engine yeah yeah Anyway, this this kind of stuff, I love going to museums like this, like even locally or even down in the States when I've done trips down there. So if I ever do get to there, I almost hope it's going to be this building <laughs> or mm-hmm. at least the opportunity to see both because it's, they're so close to, you know, to each other physically. Yep. Okay, now on to the photos. And unfortunately, I don't have any context for these, but hopefully you smart guys that know all these machines are really able to tell me. So uh, this, I might be able to zoom up a bit. Intel, S-Y-N-T-E-L. Must be some sort of card-based system for backlink. Mm. Yeah, I'm just going to zoom it up here. See if there's any writing so, on any of these something cards. Something industrial. Right. Like, is that old VME bus stuff or something? Sintel? I don't know what that is. Here's your flip drive. Like a data acquisition system or something. Yeah. Oh, maybe. Or an S50 bus or something? I couldn't tell. Or S100? Yeah. Well, it'd have to be a 50. It's not big enough for 100. Looks, looks like a 50. Nice looking machine. Yeah, a couple of the cards are yanked out. I was hoping maybe there's something identifying what the card even does. It just says Intel 1983 on this one. Could also be proprietary to that company computer. Yeah. Right. So that's one. 
the Liberator. Now, I'm, I'm trying to remember because that name sounds familiar. Was that a 609 based laptop? Or is that something totally different? Uh, word processor, maybe? Yeah, I was going to say it looks like a word processor. Oh, maybe. Although they did sell a compressed screen like that for the Apple IIc for portability. Yeah. Looks like a Model 200. You might be right, though, because escape then B for bold, escape then U for underline. That sounds word processory. Yeah, I was also thinking of the scale on the screen, too. Mark for marking text. Yeah, this is looking like it. you might be right. That'd probably be very common with, like, newspaper reporters or stuff that would carry things like that to type <sighs> your story. And send them. You know, like an 80-column 80, 80 by 616? Yeah, so sort of like the, uh, what was the first... Like the model 100, 101, or 102 was the 40 column. Tandy 200, was that an 80 column? I don't know, but Tandy did sell a word processor, dedicated word processor at one point. Yeah. There's a Coco 3 still in the box. Brian Weasler, Ooh. take notice. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or the EEPROM uh, programmer. So Google says the Liberator is a Thorn EMI uh, laptop word processor produced in the United Kingdom by Thorn EMI Data Tech. Yeah, ganged programmer. So apparently this programs multiple ROMs yeah. all in one pass. Yeah, this would be for production. 16 in the whack. I like it. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I want one. Don't know what I'd do with it, but I want right. one. Now, is that very likely that that uh, Coco 3 would be a U.S. one because of the spelling color? Uh, let me see here. It's a three, so they didn't. Well, the three was only sold Canada, the U.S., and Australia. And, and Nick in okay. Australia, was it was spelled so uh, C-L-O-L-O-R on the badge, right? On the badge, I think the, on the box they had O U R. Yeah, because on the manual here and on the badge it says O E O R. But I think they Canada they did that too, didn't they? Well, and two, there's that RF converter. They wouldn't have had that in the U in the UK, would they? They wouldn't oh, have this the, one? They, yeah, they wouldn't oh. have that in the UK, would they? Because it because right, of the output. channel two three box. Well, the UK never sold Coco three. I mean, right, Europe never just, got the Coco three period, so. Correct, but I'm just saying. But but if they had though, there wouldn't have been anything like that. Like even the Coco Two, they probably didn't have that, did they? You wouldn't have had something like that for like PAL versions, would you? I don't know because the Coco. I don't think the Coco had composite in the UK, the like Coco One and Two. So they would have had something like that. Maybe it was on UHF or something. I don't know. I honestly yeah. don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I never really thought about it. But I'm guessing this is an American one, unless they got uh, 50 hertz PAL style from Australia. Mm-hmm. Now, this one I was asking Kieran about because he said this looked pretty good. This is a semi-graphics, higher semi-graphics, probably 12, I'm guessing. Um, kind of done in a 3D dungeon crawl style. And you know, you've got a kind of representation of a body on the upper right. You've got you know 3D maze with an axe and a dagger or something there sitting there on the 3d maze that's going and then you get a bottom area with some of your weapons and stuff so i asked kieran about it and he talked to the guy that's doing this he just did this as a mock-up to see what a higher semi-graphics 3d dungeon crawl might look like and now he's got to turn it into a game as kieran said but uh that actually looks pretty promising 
And uh, of course, if since you're using semi-graphics, you can actually get you know all nine colors on the screen at once. Black being included as color, of course. So that that looks intriguing. I would like that. I'd like. I hope that hopefully the guy does finish it. Here's some of the grounds outside. So the building itself actually looks fairly old. This one actually has a sign we can probably read so I can see what this clock's about. Oh, it's a timekeeping clock for workers' hours from 1930 until the Second World War. It's a time clock. Yep. A bit more of the actual museum itself. What's this museum actually on? On what do you mean? What is it? It's a museum of what? Technology. Uh, technology. Just in ah. general. So a lot of mechanical technology and. You know, the Industrial Revolution was a thing in England. <laughs> There's a mini MPI on a dragon and running the, uh, the Super Sprite board with one of Per Surratt's uh, conversions of the AGD games for full color and sound using the Super Sprite board from the Spectrum. Old and new technology. And this one in particular is Foggy's Quest. I think we covered this on the show a couple of years ago after Para reported it. Actually, it looks and sounds really, really good. And this is running Fusix on the Dragon. And this, I can't tell if this is logged in to the Dragon and they're playing some text mode space invaders or is it something separate? Because it's wise and they usually made terminals, not computers, right? Yeah. Oh, no, they made yeah, some that's computers, a, did they? Yeah, they made some computers, but that's a wise 55 terminal. Yeah. WY55 terminal. My, yeah, my first pretty... PC was actually a uh, Weiss. It was a 386. Yeah, I have one of those terminals. No, I haven't actually ran Fusix on the Cocoa, but I'm assuming like OS 9, you can plug terminals into it and log in, correct? I believe it's the serial port down the left side there of the Dragon. Yeah, if it's a Dragon 64, it actually has a built-in hardware serial port too, so that would be perfect. So yeah, it looks like it's plugged in over here, gets converted over to the WISE terminal, and then that comes in. So I think this is playing from Fusix as a terminal, a uh, second user logged in. Oh, yeah, it is all text and closer review. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like some M's with some. Yeah, some slashes, some backslashes, some M's. Yeah. <laughs> Zeros and lowercase b's and d's and hat symbols. Well kind of cool. Yeah. That's next, next, next version when he does the Coco 3 version of his 4K Space Invaders. He's going to use the 80 column text mode. <laughs> right, Nick? <Okay>. No. <laughs> No, <laughs> there's the the family of Coco with a Coco One older style, what we call the 64K color computer in the U.S. and Canada, but was called the Coco Two in Australia and Europe, which I'll zoom up in a second here. And then a later Coco Two with the shrunken case and the full travel keyboard, and a couple of games being demoed. A bunch of cartridges here. But I'll just zoom in. The Coco Australian Coco Two down there. You can see color with the U. Computer 2, 
and it's actually like the full size case 64k coco so the one that was named differently between north america and the rest of the world marketing i mean merchandising i wonder what the 26 number is on that one well it's got the center centered badge that'd be an f board no i meant the white one oh that i don't know i think that should have been a 3004a shouldn't it yeah, I imagine these are PAL ones too, so I don't know if that makes a difference. Right. Here's one of the SCART connector. It's going to say all the SCART cables laying around clue you off, do you think? <laughs> and then Daggerath and Purple, which I've not seen before. Hmm. Maybe the monitor's messed up. And this here, because this is trying to run on PAL, and I, I think they said they couldn't patch it. Because of all the you know tricks they do, changing the color set five times across the scan line, so it looks like this is trying to run you know PAL style, but it's it's messing up some of the colors, changing the color sets. The fire it's on cool. dragon fire looks cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is a game that is a technical marvel, but pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> and the last photo I have is when they first went out for drinks. This is not at the pub they're at now. Uh, they're in an indoor pub now, but I think it's just part of the grounds. And, and unfortunately, the... I'm forgetting names here, but I do recognize a couple. Like I've met, I've seen him before at some of these dragon events, and uh, I think on Facebook later on. Unfortunately, I didn't post them in the in the news links here, but maybe I'll bring it up near the end of the show. I think they've got one or two pictures of of Karen. They had some sort of trivia contest. I think Karen actually won one of the prizes, which Nick will really appreciate the prizes too. So remind me not to forget that when we get to the end of the show. Okay. So hey, that's the uh, photos and videos that Karen sent me. So um, the guy's drinking dark beer, or it's Guinness, Coke, maybe, and you can't see the ice in it. Oh, I'd be dark beer. You can tell by the that photo. Would be dark beer. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's like a Guinness with the, I mean, most of the head off. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, they have some pretty stout beers over there. Yeah. Guinness is awesome. When you drink it there, too, compared to the crap you buy here in North America, oh, yeah. with like especially the canned stuff, which is just gross. Oh, right. It's it's night and day. Like it doesn't taste anything oh, like this stuff. It, it's very, it, yeah, it's a very good beer. I spent two weeks over there for work in the early two thousands, and and uh, yeah, we checked out a lot of the local pubs and everything, and uh, yeah, the beer is just it's different. I don't see any Bud Light there. No, <laughs> that, they wouldn't even consider that beer. Dude. That's like water that somebody threw coloring in. Right? You don't even see any lager there. Like frog or something. Or, or you, or you scooped it up from the bottom of a latrine. That's probably what they think of it. You go over there and order a Bud Light, you're going to get laughed out. So, yeah. Do you think they're going to watch this? I, I think they are watching it actually. There, because oh. Kieran was in the pub already. So, texted me back. He says, "Ah, sorry, you probably can't make it live. Like a live on the show type thing because of the noise." And the pubs are very lively environments to be in it's yeah. uh, a lot of what's fun. nice is uh look at the floor you well they're out to sweep oh yeah well they're outside yeah yeah this is not where they're at now for my gathering but all right thanks to karen for bringing up those pictures and a couple quick videos there to kind of show what happened at the uh, show and now we'll get nice. on to the regular stuff so i'll do the game news first Game news. Oh, did you want to play a video or something? 
Uh, sure. You can do the regular news one when we get up to the regular news. Okay. <laughs> we don't need the game one. When you want the latest. And fire, so we'll do that one. Uh, I got to get the right... Uh, ow! Cat. The right cat? The right cat. Yeah, I got to get the right scene set up, and then the cat decided well, to pin You, you got a bit here. I got a few game stories to cover first, and then I'll I'll pause for the regular news part. No, I got it. I got it. I got it. Let's go. We're good. Okay. You want me to continue, or are you playing it yep. now? No, keep going. Okay. No, I'm not doing the intro. I'm doing the... Uh, I just had to switch the scenes to game on versus the uh, uh, game on challenge, which you could have been talking on. <laughs> okay. Okay, so first up, uh, chronologically uh, gaming. Nope, I'm going to go back to this one first. Okay. So um, first one up here, uh, Jim Gary had a couple things out this week. Uh, The first one is he ported the game Dragon Lord, originally written by Dennis Millican, as you can see on the remarks there. Um, This was already published in Australian Coco magazine back in the 1980s. And he ported the MC-10, but he also enhanced it by adding a dragon graphic and some speed ups and fixed a buggy found, etc. So this is a game that's now going to have to be backported back to the dragon because now it's got a nice dragon, you know, logo thing. I'll play a little bit of the beginning so you can see this new um, dragon picture that Jim added to the game. And this was uh, typed in by uh, Brian Palmer Breeza. And this was a game that was published, as I mentioned before, in the Australian Coco magazine. So we never saw it in any of the North American magazines. So this would be a new game to most of us. Bit of instructions built in. And it's kind of a fighting game. And we've seen some of these, uh, like, you know, um, Kim Guy and uh, Kung Fu Dude. But this is all done in low-res graphics and basic. That's for just some actual gameplay here. There we go. I don't know if the speed up pokes enabled at this point, but now with the Gimme X, we can triple speed it and make it a pretty interesting game, I think. But this is similar to what Erico uh, Montero, had, I think, was working on a while ago, a low-res Kung Fu-style game. I didn't realize it had already been done once before in the 80s. And the blue pants looks like Homer Simpson. So yeah, you got a fighting game for the MC-10 now, and uh, I think Breeze, or, uh, Brian's already uploaded this to Facebook for the regular Coco, and I'm, I'm assuming he's uploaded to the archive and should be showing up there soon, but uh, yeah, I'll have to get it back to the Dragon again, too. And high score table, too. Go see, that sounded like somebody hurt. <laughs> He beat Bruce Lee. That's pretty impressive. And then the second one he did here. Um, now, Nick, you had no idea this was coming, right? Um, the other game that he was working on. The 4K Space Invaders by Nicholas Marini's oh, were that. now Nick's a famous MC10 programmer now. Ah, damn. How do I get rid of that? <laughs> <laughs> Better buy a machine. So a bit of the I backstory on... A bit of the backstory in this one is that Alan Huffman, I can't remember how many years ago, and Nick might remember, but he might not. He had a challenge to write a 4K game as part of a 4K programming challenge, completely in basic, Cal- no cheats, no ML, subroutines, Cal- nothing. Basic. 
color basic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Color basic, no extended either. Yeah. And Nick uh, completed a 4K low res Space Invaders game that was actually pretty good. <clears throat> and then Alan never finished the contest. There was no winners and no contest really. Um, so Jim dug out the game, which I think is on your site. Nick is a free download. Um, I have it somewhere. I haven't, I haven't looked at it in a while. Yeah, probably. But he, he yes, ported yes, it over it to the MC10. Yeah, so obviously the MC10 basic is very similar to color basic. Insert coin. <laughs> That's how he gets paid. Like <laughs> now, Nick, I was going to ask you because I know people like uh, James Diffendap and a few others have said that the MC10's basic is a little more optimized than color basic was. So it's a little bit faster, like 10% or something. Does this look any faster to you than your original Coco version, or do you remember? Looking at it there now, it does look a little bit faster, yeah. I'll bet you Jim Jerry could tell us. Yeah, is he watching? I haven't checked to see if he's in the chat. I'll bet you um, he, he yes, knows. Yes, I think he is. Come on, also, Jimmy. Also, Erico oh, Montero, what? he said this looks nice, and he's a guy who's an expert on doing low res and doing wicked things with low res, so. The other thing that I didn't do back then for this game is to disable the brake key. So that's that was running with the brake key uh, active on the Coco when I did it. So which slows it down a little, right? No, it speeds it, it up. does. So if you if you disable it, it speeds it up a little bit. If you disable it, yeah. But the brake key, yeah, slows it down. I'm trying to remember to get the speed, like you couldn't just do, you know, print character strings drawing each individual. And I think you do each line as one string, right? Well, that's right. On the Coco, I uh, actually, um, I have an editor that I poke the uh, graphics directly into a uh, a print statement. Now, I think on the MC10, it allows you to type those characters in. So, but the same idea, you put the graphics within the print statement or the or the strings. I can't remember what I used. You put the lime in the coconut. Now, as I was kind of watching <laughs> this here, um, do how do I want to say this? As, as you uh, as you destroy more of the characters, since there's less to be moved around on the screen, the game might naturally speed up a little bit. Do they have? Do you have to go and factor in that and to slow it down? So it kind I of, think it does speed. Yeah, I think it does speed up a bit, which is fine. That's uh, actually that's, that's what the arcade does. That bug was in the original, and they made it a feature. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, bug. well, that was part of the difficulty level because basically it would try to draw a chunk of so many invaders at a time for each player move, and as you get less and less aliens, it gets faster and faster until at the end of the game they're moving way faster than you are when there's only one or two left. But in the original game, was it moving faster because there was less that had to be moved around the screen, or were they actually speeding it up? No, Legend it says both. it was a bug. Yeah, Legend less says it be. was a bug. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the natural speed up, I think, just works for the game. Like, it should get harder as you're getting near the end of a level, and that's yeah. the way they just kind of naturally did it, is Agreed. the game naturally sped up. Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, Tom Eric Anderson's asking, how do you disable the brake keys? It's just a single poke into some vectors. It's it? a poke, yeah. I, I I haven't got it on me right now, but it is a poke, yeah. And you're talking about shifting um, strings for graphics. 
I have done that on Sinclair games before because when you shift the string, the speed doesn't change. Even if, you know, it's 31 blank spaces in one character, that's the same as 31 characters in one space. So it was consistent if slow is. Now, if you complete a wave, like a whole row of aliens, would it speed up after that? Because you no longer have to print that string if you do a check to say it's empty, skip it. Yeah, a whole a whole row. Uh, it, generally, I think that's how how it worked. An entire row would speed would speed up. Gotcha. Because I'm printing. Uh, I think I assume I'm printing large largely the entire row each time. The difference is that it's getting uh, knocked out. It's clearing this uh, this the string. I think I think it's been a while since I wrote this. <laughs> yeah, I was just checking to see if the screenshot of the little bit of Cody showed here might have had that retaining in there, but it doesn't look like it. This looks the other like thing is actually, yeah, I was just thinking, break disable can be done on a Coco three, on a Coco one and two though. I think you had to first of all do a ROM to RAM uh, modification. I was trying to remember because I thought there was a way to disable it. Why well, doing I can't a vector, remember. like the key vector to bypass it or something? Oh, maybe. maybe so, I can't yeah. remember either. I don't well, deal with this basic well, stuff. What's amazing about this is it <laughs> runs in 4K. Yes. Yeah, that was that the whole point of the contest. Four, yeah. yeah, 4K, 4K color basic. How much yeah. is left over? Do you know? Oh, not much. much. Not much. <laughs> not much. <laughs> <laughs> you only got twenty three hundred forty three bytes to start with. So <laughs> wow. You got two no, left, so it, be nice. Yeah, two. <laughs> yeah, cool. I mean, technically, the to... game code takes 2K. Yeah, yeah, the, that's right. Um, if I recall, you had to do a clear before you even uh, loaded it in because you didn't have enough RAM. By doing a clear before you start, you clear that extra bit of something, and, okay. um, and then, it, then it can load the game and run it. So yeah, yeah, by default, I think basic reserves 200 bytes for string space, and, and you can lower four, that so you free up a bit of room for your program. Four P mode pages or something like that. That's only extended basic. 4K. You don't. Oh, what, what oh this is graphics? just basic basic. <laughs> uh, sorry. Yep. Yeah. 1980 baby. <laughs> did, you, did you consider leaving your name off to gain the extra bytes? <laughs> yeah, but that wouldn't feed I his did. vanity. So like that would never happen. <laughs> No, that was the most important feature. Oh, he, he would drop a row of aliens to make sure his name appears in there. Oh, so. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Next that up, this is cool. a rather interesting one. So, uh, Erico, who we just was commenting on on the, your uh, 4K Invaders game here, has writ written a game a while back. Um, and I'm trying to remember what system that was for. Uh, we'll get into that in a second. But anyway, Paul Shoemaker saw it, and he's actually working on making a Cocoa version of it. And this feels parallax scrolling. So he's basically just getting the parallax scrolling engine working in machine language right now. And I think he's using P-Mode 1 for this, which he tends to do in a lot of his games. So this will be Cocoa 1, 2, and 3 compatible once done, and Dragon as well, some quick patches. But this is basically just a demonstration of the scrolling engine. That's pretty good. So so you can see that the yeah. red fog in the background is going about half the speed as the foreground stuff like trees and buildings mm. and lights and mm. stuff. You know, I, Nick, you're probably getting ideas when you watch this stuff, aren't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm recording it now. <laughs> 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 
No, but I mean, to, to go to Ken's point earlier during the game on challenge stuff, that uh, rear guard could have been much faster. I give you That's this. Pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, this is a lower res, but it's also drawing much more of the screen doing parallax rather than the little tiny bit at the bottom. Yeah, this one's, uh, he's done a, a good job so far there. Anyway, considering it was inspired by another person that uses a Coco Erico, who's also in the chat here, I thought I would show you some of the stuff. This is the original. Now, this is on, um, uh, does he mention what system this is on here? No. Erico, type in whatever system this was for in the in the chat, and I'll, I'll let people know. But basically, that that the machine that this was running on when he wrote it six years ago or whatever it was, and it's got an HIO page, which I'll get to in a second here, but it's it's got like sound chips and all kinds of stuff on it. So it might even been a Game Boy of some sort. I'm not even sure. So it's a fairly low res system itself. It's got a little bit of grayscale, no color. But the music and stuff actually plays on the other the, the system. So this will give you a bit of the gameplay that uh, Paul's shooting for. Sounds like so you have a to like, Boy. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it looks Game Boy. Yeah. But we just get to bounce these people jumping out of the building onto the truck. Now, when you say Game Boyish, does that does that mean it's like immature? No. <laughs> <laughs> well. well, the thing is, I'm not sure if this is a Game Boy or some modern like Pico something like uh, some of the stuff that Paul Thayer's been playing with. You know what's neat is when the body goes in, the truck goes down. Right. Actually, that's pretty cool. It's a low res. I think M maybe the Game Boy could actually do higher than this, so it might not be Game Boy. Yeah, I can't remember. I'm hoping it'll stay on the HIO page because I honestly can't remember. Must be a Ford F-150. Okay, Eric in the chat is saying uh, for the Windows PC, you can run on Macs and Linux through uh, emulation layers based on a game and... Uh, Game and Watch game uh, from ah, Nintendo called Fire. A Game and Watch, holy smokes! Ah. <laughs> I like the, the on your Apple Watch there. soon, I guess. I don't know. I like the moon up there. Yeah, and Paul even put that in his. Remember, he had a little moon in the background, which yeah. didn't scroll. So, so this is cool then, because the Game and Watch was like Nintendo's first portable games. These were really, really yep. early. Anyway, that's what Paul's shooting for. He's he's already mentioned in some comments that he probably won't get the background music running like this, <laughs> which is understandable, uh, especially for a Coco 1 and 2 game. No, not impossible, as, as Nick has proven with stuff like pipes. You could get some background music. Will it allow or the rest could, of the scrolling and stuff to run fast enough to make a playable game? That's the question. Or, or could, make it for a speech uh, sound pack. SDC streaming. Yeah, because SDC streaming does work on a Coco 1 and 2 as well as a Coco yeah. 3, so that's definitely sure. a possibility. Anyway, for those of you interested in that, you can actually get it off of uh, Erico's uh, itch.io page. And our show notes have the direct link to it, and if you can read it on here, it's up at the top. Uh, based on the Fire Game Watch, it says here. And he's got some screenshots, etc. So, Well, I don't get the itch. That's a name your own it. price. So you can give as much as uh, money proportional to the amount of fun you have playing it. How much is a Ferrari? <laughs> <laughs> Were you forgotten? 
And I know we've covered this before, but Paul Shoemaker, I think because he realized he hadn't pushed to the video of his camel game, I think some other players had done it earlier, but he actually, and this also has sort of parallax scrolling too, which is his first experiment with that. And this is based on an old text-based game that was published in Creative Computing back in 79, so a year before the Coco even came out. Um, but we've covered it on the show. I'll just play a little clip of it for those of you who have not seen it before. Even borrowed the chewing camel from Sands of Egypt type thing there. <laughs> It's kind of like um, an early version of Oregon Trail in some ways. But it's a nice little animation. It's another low res P mode one style game. So it's what 128 by 64. But you can see you kind of doing the, the parallel scrolling here of his uh, parallax, I should say. Anyway, I won't play the whole thing there because I have played it before in previous shows, but you can go get that's a free download. Uh, from him too. Next up, Cross Gen Gameplay, uh, which is a YouTube channel I've not seen before. Did a couple of Coco videos. Now, some of them are from games we've seen lots of times. Um, like, in fact, Warehouse Mutants we just played recently on a game on Challenge, if I remember correctly. Dungeons of Daggerath, Pegasus, Phantom Riders, Germ Warfare, of course. Uh, but this is a rather rare game. So this is Invasion, originally written by David Crandall, which uh, if you're a Coco game aficionado, uh, you might recognize his name from games such as um, Doodlebug, a rather famous one he published through Computerware. Now, he published a couple of games through Creative Computing Software, which was the software branch of Creative Computing Magazine. And then in late 82, early 83, that got shut down by uh, the people that bought out Creative. And I think that was, was that Ziff Davis? Somebody bought it anyway. And basically, they didn't want it competing with software companies. So they shut down the entire software division. So David All, who created Creative Computing Magazine, ended up selling it through his own software company called All Software. But he only did that for about a year or two, and it didn't really advertise that much. So a lot of people never saw these. Um, now, when I contacted David Crandall 20 years ago, he actually gave me every piece of software gaming he wrote on a couple of discs, including some of these very rare ones. So this is one of those rare ones. And this is one I keep hinting at Tim Lindner and, and AJ to cover on their channel of sibling rivalry because this is a space invader style game but for two players simultaneously now the person that's playing this here unfortunately is just by themselves so you only get to see the one person moving around but you'll see the second ship an orange one on the left um and you have a little bit of a protective things to protect you before you come back out kind of like wizard of war does and then you're basically playing space invaders, but you're playing simultaneously so you're trying to cooperatively try to kill all the aliens i'm guessing a lot of you probably have not seen this before unfortunately he's got the uh he should have ran rom l first because it's got the disc timer doohickey running through there so eventually the game probably will crash but rom l will solve that you can see it again there beside the word invasion so you got a little orange ship on the lower left and a white ship on the lower right you can see you have five men left but basically both players can move out with the joysticks and start firing at the same time And the alien pattern's a bit different space as They come in kind of a, a zigzag S-line coming down from the top left. So has anybody on the panel seen this one before? I know I've got it on my site, but I know it was a pretty rare one. It was not sold or advertised in Rainbow at all. This oh, might be a good one for to do at the show, actually, at CocoFest, because it's simultaneous two-player. Sorry, go ahead. No, I hadn't seen it. Ken, have you seen it before? I or have not. 
Okay. Different. Yeah, I kind of liked it actually because uh, yeah, simultaneous space invaders is something I always you know I've I've seen it some other uh, ports of that style of game on other platforms, and I didn't know we didn't even know we had one, especially this far back. And it's good uh, alien design and the colors. The way he's you, got yeah, the this colors. is one place where the pastel actually doesn't look too bad. I have to yeah, say, yeah, he's done a good job. Yeah, it's pretty good from Nick. Yeah, yeah, no, I. You know, it's not as good as 4K Space Invaders, but no, I'm just kidding. I endorse it. <laughs> Play it again. Oh, what oh, was it again? What was? Where was it? It's just called Invaders. Um, it should be on the archive because I uploaded it there after I got it oh, from David, okay. and I do have an I, entry for it on my webpage too. I might have a look at it. Just run it through raw mail though, because it is it is designed for cassette, so it will do the little thingy where the disk drive timer right. is running. Yep. Uh, another one that I've not seen before, Nostalgia Vault, um, which actually is a fairly large YouTube channel with 27,600 subscribers. Uh, they started, he suddenly started covering Coco games here recently. Um, so I've, you know, the Megabugs one up here I mentioned, and then uh, also does, I'll, I'll skip Megabug playing it because we've all seen that, I'm sure. He did another one here um, called Goose Eggs, which is actually from a book in 1984 that I have not seen um, called The Color Computer Playground. Now, I'm trying to remember, was that a Tandy one? Does anybody familiar with that title? Sounds like it was. Or if it was actually a third-party book like Your Color Computer by Dave Mosher was, like, published with nothing to do with Tandy. But apparently this was a type-in from that book. Now, in the description mentions Color Computer 3, it, it does not need a color computer three. It's actually made in '84. It's several years before the Coco three even existed. So, it's a basically a type in basic game. It'll probably be run under 16k, I think. Yeah, I would say so. Probably doesn't even need extended basic. It seems to be an educational one where you're trying to like teach kids, you know, the zeros are you know goose eggs and how many <laughs> literal and them. figurative goose eggs. Yeah, it probably would have looked better as goose eggs because I'm guessing because on the Coco Three the zeros slash through it. The original VDG, of course, did not, so it would look more like a goose egg than these do. These look like a cracked goose egg. <laughs> well, like you say, it's a goose egg or it's a zero. They're both goose eggs, so it makes well, sense. Could it be a T one? I could, but he actually mentions right here Color Computer 3, so. Oh. So yeah, I think that's what he's mean, using for his. Doesn't that mean 3 to 1? Oh, could, could be. Three? Oh, oh, maybe that's what he meant. Normally I, I never thought of that. To 1 to 3, but, you know. Then it could be. I do know that on his previous one, he actually showed that it is on real hardware he's playing, too. It's on an emulator, so. Oh, anyway, I'm going to keep an eye on this channel, see if they do any more, because it's a bigger channel. And if they cover some uh, other Coco games, I'll be sure to mention it and maybe even you know make comments on occasion and stuff too. What would be the other um, text figure that might show what it is? Like the, the zero has a slash in it. Is there another uh, text that only T1 what? shows? Mm, I'm not sure what your bad. question is. The zero has a slash through it, right? That's how you on the T1 and the Coco 3, yes. Right, right. 
Is there any other character that has is different? And all of them pretty well because uh, they had to make room for the descenders, so they'll shift. Okay. And the O is square on the original. It's more rounded on the right. T1. There's okay. a, yeah, there's a fair bit. Right, because without the slash, yeah, they just made the O square. So you would know. The biggest way to tell is that all the uh, capital letters are shifted up one pixel on the T1 to make room for the descenders for lowercase. Okay. And next up, Eric has been working on new stuff here. So inspired by Nick Rennie's Pong and also Richard Kelly, who did some of the mods to the existing Pong we covered last week. And now he's working on a game... That you know, his first screen initial screenshot is basically it's pongish, it's white and black, it's rectangles, but it's gone in a completely different direction. Now it's a jumping shooting game. Um, mm. I mentioned it's basically roughly based on the arcade game Frogs, and it's also Frog Leap or something like that on the 2600 or the Intellivision. I think I've seen it before too. And then he's kind of taking it here, and he's, you can kind of see you've got the player here, you've got things that are flying across, and he's got some animated gifts here a bit later that will actually show it in action. And this is a work in progress. That's leaping up, and then you try to catch, and you actually has a little animation when you land, all using just semi plain old semi graphics for. And then so you can have two players simultaneous too, which is another cool feature. And you try to shoot your tongue out or shoot with a gun. I'm not sure exactly how exactly he's explaining it. Adds a bit more animation to the opponents coming across. And he might have gone further past I, since I checked this uh, last night. It always amazes me the kind of like very simple characters that Eric uses on these low, low res, like SG4 stuff. And he always makes them look more than they are. Like with the old animation, the pulsing and stuff here, it looks like it's, you know, it must be Cinegraphics 8 or something, right? And he started adding a little uh, top part here. He's trying to figure out how to do the score originally. This is sped up just to kind of show. Then it kind of turns into nighttime. So I guess that's more day. Now the sun's set. Stars come out. The moon comes out for a later level. And he's working on the oh. title screen here. Toad bog. Mm, good. That's one or two player. And that's the last one I got on here. So I'm just going to read. Eric's been commenting the whole time here. So just going to see what it, what he said here. You can record the music on tape and leave the audio. <laughs> um, and some about that sound will bring insanity. I'm not sure if he's talking about the original soundtrack on the original version of the game you did, or if he's talking about one of the 
original versions that he ported it from. Anyway, it looks really cool. <clears throat> and then Chronologically Gaming is now doing the alphabetical list of all games uh, from 1982 July that uh, don't have a specific release date. And on Friday's show yesterday, he covered two Coco games. The first one is also a rare one. This one did get mentioned in Rainbow in a review, but I've never seen an ad for it. So I don't know if the people couldn't afford the ads in Rainbow because I know they were fairly expensive. And they just sent one in for certification approval for Rainbow Certified. And then they actually did a review of the game. But it's 3D Pac-Man basically in 1982. Um, I'll just I'll play the little bit at the beginning here. You can kind of get a little bit of the field gameplay and almost his comments on it. The other crazes we've seen in 1982 of the 3D maze. They are all the rage right now. But this one has a twist to it. So this is by Randy S. Johnson. Way to go, Randy. Uh, so far, as far as the 3D maze craze has happened, we've seen Escape on the Commodore VIC-20. We've seen 3D maze on the BBC Micro and the NASCOM. We've seen Amazing, which is a 3D maze that was for the Coco. And we've seen another one called Labyrinth that had the 3D maze but had a shooting mechanic. But don't get too excited. It wasn't like a first-person shooter mechanic. It was very rudimentary. It was, um, uh, But it still was playing on the 3D maze kind of game and then we had a game by tim gilbert's called 3d maze of gold which was a 3d maze that has you picking up things like dots in pac-man and this would be the next iteration this is straight up let's play pac-man in a first person perspective in a 3d maze all right oh that's right <laughs> all right so we're going to go all the way in and do a ghost mode and i want to do a beginner mode so i'm going b for beginner and then I want to go kind of fast. Let's go six for right now. All right, so it has a random seed. You can see down at the bottom. And it's going to make us a whole new maze. Break it all up. Put the dots where it needs to go. And then the ghosts. So for this is the very first time you could ever play a Pac-Man game from a first-person perspective. This is the one. All right, I think we can, we're can. we on a dot right now. So yeah, so we're okay. The ghost can come at us. That's it. Nice touch. Now, the other thing to think about is this is not playing like usual Pac-Man. The usual the way you play Pac-Man is you run around, gather all the dots, and then you find the power pellet. Then you turn the tables and you can uh, hit the ghost. In this one, the dots you have to stand on for the ghost to uh, be come at you and then you die or, or the, the ghost die. So there is no power pellet. It's essentially you're wandering around the maze. You can see here. Look at that machine language. We got fast moving 3D maze. And he got us. So we weren't on a pellet for that one. We have to find our way. There it is. See the little dot on the ground? So you sit here on the dot. While you're on the dot, if a ghost comes at you, then the ghost will die. So it's not the true Pac-Man experience, but this one is, is the first. So that gives you a little bit of feel for the game. Now, the little number on the bottom, that three you see there, that's how many charges your power pellet has left to kill a ghost. So once you've killed three ghosts on that one, it disappears and it's gone from the maze. And you do have to try to wake your way to the center of the maze. I don't remember if you have to go get all the ghosts first or if you can go there with some still left. Um, but I remember seeing this one quite a long time ago. I actually had a pirated copy of this way back in the 80s type thing. But it, it's it's never been advertised in any of the Coco magazines I can find. The only reference I found is a review of it in Rainbow. And I was wondering if anybody else on the panel has seen this one before, aside from being on my site for several years. Uh, I would have jumped all over that. I love 3D things back in the day. But, yeah, because, um, I mean, we do have an official, well, not official, but a, a 3D Pac-Mania clone, 3D Monster Maze that we had Brian O'Neill on to talk about um, months ago, maybe a year ago. 
which is a Cocoa 3 only one using hardware scrolling and everything else, which is actually a very, you know, advanced one and based definitely based on Pac-Man from the arcade. But this is kind of its own original thinking. So, I mean, in 82, Pac-Man had only been out for about a year. Wasn't Pac-Man came out in 81? Right. So, right. And, yeah. and 3D room games were new. Fairly new. So. Yeah. And randomly generated mazes. So, I mean, you're not playing the same game over and over again type thing. And yeah, it looks it was a pretty interesting game. I actually should, I haven't played it too much in, in years. So I should probably try to pick it up again and see if I can complete a level and see what happens when you finish the screen of things special happens. And then he did a second one on this episode too uh, for Astro Blast by Mark Dataprox. And it was funny because he got, I got confused and this happened to me as well. There's the official Mark, no, no, I shouldn't say official. <laughs> There's Astro Blast from Mark Data Products, which is a clone of Astro Fighter in the arcade. And then there's also Astro Blast from Chroma Set, which is a basic ML hybrid game, which has absolutely nothing to do with the arcade game whatsoever. And he he kind of crossed the streams there. He, he plays the Mark Data one, but he shows like the instructions from the Chroma Set, which doesn't describe the game that he's actually going to play. And I had the same problem in a different way, because when I... I, like Astroblast itself, the Mark Data one, I've had on my site since the beginning, like in 1999 or whatever, when I started it. It was one of the first games I put up. The Astroblast from Chroma said I just fixed to run off disk in the last couple months. And uh, when I was actually doing my web page update, I forgot that they had the same name. So I was overwriting all the Mark Data stuff as I was putting the Chroma set on. Mm. And thankfully, I actually went to go check it afterwards. And well, wait a second, that's not right. So I had to restore the old stuff and then rename it. They, they are named slightly differently. The Mark Data one actually has advertises Astro Dash Blast, and the Chromosome one is just Astro Blast. But that's pretty subtle. I won't play that one because well, I'm sure most people have seen that one before. Anyway, that's it for the game on news. So if you want to do the flame and hair intro, you can you can do that now. Excellent. When you want the latest in TRS-80, Tandy, Dragon. MC10 and all of their hardware cousins no matter what it takes or where news breaks from around the world to your nation the Coco Nation News with L. Curtis Boyle That was my impression of being the human torch from the Fantastic Four movie. So, or maybe yep. Ghost Rider. That's another one. Uh, a bit of an update before we get into the regular news here. So, Erico in the chat here has mentioned um, the Frog game needs only the sound now for release. Did the AI track mode a while ago? Hopefully, to release it this week. So, uh, keep an eye out for that. We'll probably cover it on the next show. And uh, Dave, Mr. Dave six three nine said, "Very good stuff, Erico. Already better than the Intellivision Frog game." So now I'm really intrigued. Because I think the television frog game is one that Tim and AJ have covered on Sibling Rivalry before. So maybe, maybe get Tim to pop in and do a compare. Anyway, back to the regular news. So um, first up, uh, Rocky Hill. So that's Pedro on YouTube. Released a video just under the wires of Tandy. Literally, he put it out Saturday evening. So just after the show last week, he put the video out. And it was on the last day of Septandy. Um, and this uh, shows transferring files from one Coco to the other via the cassette port using a cable and audio amplifier. So I'll just play a little bit at the beginning, kind of get an idea for it. I'll let you guys watch the full video on your own. 
This is kind of along the lines of the Network 2 stuff we saw. So the question came up on the Coco Discourse server about whether or not you can take a program on one Coco and transfer it to another Coco by using the cassette cable. And I'm here to show you that you can indeed do that. So here I have two Coco 3s, okay, that I've wired together. Now, I I don't have two cassette cables. I only have one, so I had to use some jumper wire. Uh, the first thing I did was to connect the output of this guy straight to the input of this guy, and that did not work. There just wasn't enough amplitude in the signal coming out of this guy for this guy to be able to detect it. So what I ended up doing uh, was taking the output from this Coco and just hooking it up to some PC speakers for amplification, and then I took the output on the side here and pump that back into this Coco via its cassette cable. Now, this is the last day of September, and I don't have a lot of time, so I didn't clean anything up, so please excuse the mess. But Anyway, I'll let you guys watch it, but basically it works. You can see load on one and then see safe from the other one, and then it loads it up on the one that was loading across two Cocos, which is kind of like a mini Network 2 controller just for two machines instead of 16, because that's basically what it did, mm -hmm. too. Um, now, the fact that he had to use the amplifier here on the Coco 3s. Now, when we went through the uh, the videos that TJB Chris and Vintage Geek did, they said that it only worked, the Network 2 controller only works on the Coco 1, which I believe has a oh, bit of a boosted signal. Would yeah, going this... through an amplifier like this fix it up so that the Network 2 works on the Coco 2 and Coco 3 as well? I, I believe, I kind of looked at it, I believe there's an impedance issue going on. So you need to amplify the mic level signal up to speaker level anyway. But because of the specific amplifiers they're using, the lighter Cocos can't be pushed. It would be like trying to hook speakers through a 100-foot of speaker wire to a stereo. It's just not going to have any volume at the end of all that speaker wire because of the impedance, the, the low impedance of the signal. And I think that's kind of what's going on with the Coco 3-2 versus Coco 1. And then I threw up my heads and said, I'm not an audio engineer. And <laughs> <laughs> no, that actually makes sense because on most of your cassette recorders, it's a microphone input. And that's expecting to, they're expecting a passive microphone that needs a lot of gain on it in order to get a strong enough signal. So right. And then on the other side, you're supposed to use the earphone jack, not the line level out. Right. To get that extra low impedance, but lots of voltage or lots yep. of current, rather. So that's got to be what the issue is, is the Coco is tuned for mic inputs and speaker outputs, and you just can't go direct from one to the other. So do you think that is related to the Network 2 controller working only on the Coco 1 versus the Coco 2 and 3? Well, that's I think that's going to be the difference between op amps and I think transistor amps. I don't remember exactly what the difference is, but I think the yeah. the amps... The amplifier that they're using in the later Cocos is very good for what it's doing, but not strong not, enough, I guess. Yeah, not for anything extemporaneous. It's it's specific because the the Coco uh, two and later used the salt chip, whereas the Coco one used real op amps. Right. So they're, they're like I say, it's the same problem that. For instance, if you want to wire speakers for a PA system in an office, you don't send eight ohm speaker wire to all the speakers. You use 70 volt 
PA stuff with a little transformer on each speaker. And that's kind of what you need for the network thing to work. Is the 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 free running amp that can just provide more current than than a little op amp can really do. And you could do something, you could put little, you know, impedance transformers in and make it work, but that's not the circuit that you've got. <laughs> that's that would be a lot of stuff to add to make it work. So just saying it doesn't work is the best way to go. Mark Overhoser, you're about to say something too. <clears throat> oh, just yeah, just the uh, the same thing as that. Uh, uh, oh, the one thing I do remember is we were talking about the the network controller too. I believe they said that the Coco One output enough signal that you could load them on the Coco Twos and Threes, but it wouldn't work the other way. So probably something in the salt ship doesn't provide enough uh, drive, basically, to make Set it work. Boost. Yeah, where but the Coco One did have it, probably with the op amps. So that's back in the notes from a couple of weeks ago when we're talking about this. Okay, because we'll I haven't seen TGB Chris or um, Vintage Geek kind of follow up and see if they if you boost the signal, if that solves the problem with the Coco One or two and three. Two and three. It'd be worth Mark your sense Mark B. No, no, go ahead. Okay. Next up, for those of you with the uh, Coco Pie, um, there's a flurry of updates that came out uh, that you can download. So I'll cover the three that uh, were mentioned by Ron Klein this week. First one, the new XWAR 1.4.2846 work-in-progress snap package is available. Um, as you can see on the screen, I'll read out for the audio listeners here. Um, this is, of course, by Kieran, who's busy attending the Dragon Meetup uh, piss-up after the show fact right now. <laughs> so I'll read it on his behalf. <laughs> Add ability to change the picture area, seeing more or less border. That was a request from several people trying to do screenshots, et cetera, or if they want the actual border. Some people don't. Some people do. Some games it's required because your status is based on, you know, what the border covers, green or white or whatever. Uh, respect to geometry dimensions and SDL-based UIs. Added optional 60 hertz vertical scaling, which is on by default. Um, you can also shut that off, of course. Faster ROM intercept-based printing for the Cocoa and the MC10. Um, respect X offset and HVAN registers on the GIMI for Cocoa 3 emulation. MPI slot configuration move from global to per cart, including config print. Add screenshot to ping from menu or control shift S. I definitely want to try that on the Mac because older versions of XWare, I can use the grab utility and it'll grab the screen just fine. But down the later ones, the last six months to a year, it keeps saying that it's not a shared resource and you can't screenshot it off there, like a security feature or something. So I haven't been able to do screenshots properly from XWare ever since. So I'm hoping that this option of actually doing it right within the program itself will work, but I'll have to see if it works on OS 10 or not. Um, fixed printing after switching machines, better rendering of paths in window dialogues. So that's the update uh, for XWare. Then there's another update here, dated from October the 1st. Uh, this is an update on the 64-bit version that he's been working on here for the Cocoa Pie. Just a reminder, this is for the Pi 3, Pi 4, and Pi 400 only for current users of the Cocoa Pie. Everything will look quite familiar with the exception that you will see the latest versions of MAME again because latest versions of MAMES have been 64-bit only and you've not been able to play them on the old 32-bit version of the Pi. Now, he also mentioned, I think, previously, not on this particular post, but or on this post as well, I'm sure some of you have seen the news about the Raspberry Pi 5. I would be interested in making a version of the Cocoa Pie that works on this latest platform, but would need to get one first and kick the tires on the Raspberry Pi OS for a bit. 
more to come on this. So I'm not familiar with the Raspberry Pi 5 too much. How much of a jump is it from the Pi 4, Pi 400? Does anybody know? I haven't looked at any of the videos yet. I know it's, uh, I think they're faster, more cores, I believe. And 64-bit versus 32, I'm presuming. Um, well, yeah, the I think four was 34, 64. Oh, was it? Yeah, okay. I think the three was too, but. Oh, yeah, yeah, because he mentioned that, duh. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's going to be faster, bigger, and they're just coming out. A few people have them and they're demoing them, but they're kind of hard to get also at the moment. Now, Pies, I know, were one of the things that really shot up in price, I believe, after the, the COVID chip shortage started. Is the Pi 5 a fairly expensive bit of kit because of that? Or is it getting back to normal again? I think the four gig one's like around 60 bucks or something like that. Oh, it's not bad. Right. And this final update, mm. uh, new updates for UG Basic. Now, if you've been following UG Basic on the Cocoa Discord here, there's been a ton of stuff coming out. Uh, but basically, this latest beta version now has its first support for the Cocoa 3 as opposed to just the Cocoa 1 and 2. And he's been, you know, rapid fire doing changes. We've been reading about the Discord here. Um, so you can get the latest version here on the Cocoa Pie as well. But from just reading on the Discord, there's been, you know, getting the Cocoa 3 graphics modes working and text modes working like 1480 column, 320 by 200, et cetera. Uh, he's been working on doing the MMU support for it to, um, to do that. Um, he's been working on some of the specific gaming registers, et cetera. So it's kind of alpha beta at this point, um, but definitely it's it's starting to work. And he's actually got a really good graphics library that he's been writing for that too. That will basically give you pretty well machine language speeds once you compile the UG basic code uh, to run on the Cocoa 3. So as that progresses further along, we'll be keeping and updating you guys on that, because it looks like you could write some pretty amazing stuff on that, and still be in quote-unquote basic. Next up, Coco Town uh, released his second Game Revolutions video. So for those of you who've been following him for the last few months here, and especially in Septandi, his Septandi project was resurrecting old code from a, Loon, a Moon Patrol clone that he did as a teenager, and just didn't quite have the knowledge to pull the rest of the game off. So he finished that series of uh, figuring out all the code and getting it running as good as it was back when his teens. And they start a new series called Revolutions, where he's actually going to see if he can kind of finish it off here. So this is the second episode of the new series where he's been adding stuff. And this is where he starts working on double buffering because he was getting a bit of tearing and some other things happening there. Um, he also goes into doing RLE compression because he was noticing how much rimmer he was wasting on, you know, drawing the whole blue background for the top sky part and then the mountains underneath or the city underneath. And that was all uncompressed. So it was taking like 3K per chunk and he needs to free up some room. So he did some RLE compression on that, which crunched it down quite a bit. Um, I'll just play a little bit of the intro here. Um, it's a 14 minute video, so I'm not going to play the whole thing here, but uh, definitely interesting stuff if you guys have been following along. Hello, and welcome to the series where I take a game I started in high school and see if I can improve it using knowledge that I've gained along the way. Today we're going to talk about off-screen buffers. Right now the way I do my drawing and my animation is I have a single portion of memory that the screen is pointed at directly, and I make changes to that portion of memory, and it shows up on the screen as I make them. This can lead to some unfortunate side effects where you can see partial changes that haven't been finished. So one way to do smoother animation is to use an off-screen buffer. So the way that that works is whatever you're seeing on screen has already been drawn, and that's what's on screen. But then you have the second buffer, and that you can use to draw your next frame. And then when you're all done drawing, that is what you point the display generator at, so that is what the screen will show. 
And now what the screen used to show is taken offline, so you can start working on the next frame there. And then when you're done, you push that to the screen, and then you start working on this one here. And in this way, you alternate which portion of memory you're going to write that next frame to, and then you switch the video display generator to show that thing that you just uh, drew. One of the advantages of doing it this way is if you're trying to animate portions of the screen on top of other portions of the screen, normally if you're writing directly to the screen, you have to do some tricks to make transparent sprites or to do XORs so that you don't leave a trail of pollution behind you as you move across the background. And in fact, in this game in particular, when a bullet shoots into the sky, it shoots into the portion of the, the screen that rotates because of the mountains. And I have to do some special nonsense so that the bullet doesn't rotate along with the mountains. By doing it with off-screen buffers, I simply start from scratch every time. So each frame starts off blank, and then I draw all the portions of, that I need. And as long as I draw them in the right order, whatever is moving across the background should just look like it's moving perfectly fine without me having to do any tricks. Anyway, uh, Nick, I believe this is a technique you used in some of your games, is it not? Yeah, I do. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. So even your recent Coco 3 games and stuff basically use the double buffering technique or page yeah, flipping as yeah. it used to be called way back when. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, it's, it's really yeah. good. It's a good it's a good tutorial, I guess, uh, of, of watching him, you know, apply all these new things he's learned since he was a teenager, but also, you know, basically how to help write a game and, and using some of the techniques. And like I said, he also gets into early compression here, which is basically run length encoding is what that stands for. And that's basically you you do like a byte that says, How many times do I repeat the next byte? And for blue sky, he might, you know, have 255 several times. So he loads in uh, the byte of the count byte, and then he loads in the actual data byte. So if it has 255 and whatever color blue is off the top of my head, I don't remember, AA maybe. Um, and then we'd say, you know, you have to draw that AA set of pixels 255 times. And then it just does a loop and does it. So he only takes like literally two bytes of storage to fill 255 bytes on the screen. Now that's a best case scenario, but uh, in his case, since he's got a fair bit of solid colors horizontally on the screen, as you saw when he was doing his little demo here. So like uh, this whole batch of blue would be just basically one RLE pair rather than all 32 bytes of actual data. So that greatly compressed the screen. This little chunk of blue that's under here, that's all contiguous. And then you've got all the green here that you could compress to. So basically he's saving a lot of memory here um, using that technique. It explains how that works too. So I would definitely recommend it for those that want to work on games and machine language. Um, Definitely follow the series here because he's giving you some really good uh, tips and tricks to do it. Uh, going back to basic programming strictly, uh, Tier City Retro Programming here has been working on his Coco Ultimate game, which is kind of an Ultima style. Um, and this one here, he's doing some updates where he's doing the uh, health bars in real time. And he's eventually going to have multiple characters, not just fighters. That's just the example used in this case here. So basically, he's got this little subroutine that he explains how it works, where you can send what the current player's health is, and it'll update with dual colors. I'm just showing the single-colored version here because that was the beginning of the video, but later on, he updates it so you can see what your full health would be and then how much health you actually currently have, and it updates that in real time when you call their subroutine. And then he also goes into the menu thing for picking spells where you use the arrow keys to move up and down and 
select what your spells are and kind of making a menu system that works in basic as well. So definitely you can check that one out too. That one's half an hour, but uh, ongoing project. I know he's been getting busy with work and stuff lately, so he's not putting out videos as often as he was earlier in the year. Um, but hopefully you can keep it going. Next one up is from Yark, yet another retro channel. And this is another late Septandy. Um, so this one actually came out in October, but he recorded it in mid-September. So it actually was done during Septandy. Uh, but he didn't have time to edit and upload it. And this covers him doing some Cocoa 2 upgrades, including adding Bluetooth for cassette loading. So you can do wireless loading from it and also starting to replace the RF modulator with a composite outboard. So I'll play just a little bit of the intro here as you kind of get it. It's a half-hour video. Obviously, we'll play it live here, the whole thing. Hello, and welcome back to Septandy. On I did want to point one thing, though, is you actually got some original Chromaset magazines here, which is cool. Yet another retro channel. Before we get started with today's adventures, I have a piece of housekeeping to talk about. The channel has recently been accepted into the YouTube Partner Program at the lower tier. The practical upshot. I will skip the promo for that. You can catch it on the actual video if you want to. That's credits for people who do it. Like for YouTube to catch up. Actually, use both the left and right channels and uh, unite them through a pair of resistors. So what I've done is. Uh, each channel now goes through a 470 ohm resistor, which is inside inside this shrink tubing here, um, and they're connected on the other side. And I will use that. Um, the purpose of that is to provide a stronger signal. Um, the output from this module is uh, pretty low level. It's not too bad, but it you know it works for the for the Amstrad, uh, but for some other computers that might be a little too low. So uniting the two channels will boost uh, the signal since they're in phase with each other. Now, is that kind of along the same thing you were talking about, Rick, uh, about the uh, loading from cassette between the Cocoa 1 and Cocoa 2 3? Do you think that's related where he's got to do this little bit of a boost off of Bluetooth? Oh, wait, Rick might have stepped away. Sorry, yeah, I ran away for a second. That sounds similar. I mean, the, the idea being a high impedance amplifier can deliver a little bit of signal to a lot of different locations where a low impedance amplifier can deliver a big signal to one place. So you have to match what you've got with what you're doing and things like this help. Okay. Anyway, he goes through the whole installation process there. So if you guys want to check that out and also see the results of it, uh, go check out his video on YouTube. Uh, once again, in the show notes that you'll see on our Cocoa Discord and the news section under the uh, the group of channels devoted to the show there, you'll, you'll be able to find all the notes from all the episodes. Next one, uh, Chad uh, Doblin, and he actually gave me permission to play this video. Um, I'm still not going to play the whole thing as I want you to go and bump up his, his accounts because he's only got 280 subscribers. But he did a 512K upgrade board, which looks to be a static RAM style. But this is one from Backbit, and I didn't even know Backbit was making memory boards. And this is the first time I've actually seen one pictured. Like, we've obviously got, you know, Mark Marlette from Cloud9. Uh, we've got ones from Ed Snyder. We've got ones from uh, Boysentech before they folded. We've got uh, uh, 
I would see a third one that's out. Plus all the, I mean, the 512K boards, you know, from the 80s and 90s, too, from Disto and practical peripherals like the one that... Uh, is there one in Europe? Yeah, I think there's one there, too. But this this is the person that makes, this is Evie, that does the uh, backbit um, SD card thing that actually does cassette images and stuff on the Coco and, and disc images. We've covered it before, but I wasn't aware that she was also making a 512K board. Now, there were some questions that she answered in the chat here about it. Um. Let me note here. Because you, you, if you watch the whole video, you'll notice he did not remove the two capacitors that most of the upgrades require, C65 and C66, if I remember correctly, that you normally do before you plug in the 512K board after you take the 128K chips out. And people were kind of asking, well, how come all the other upgrades recommend you do this and yours doesn't? And her response, and I'll let you hardware guys uh, discuss this because I don't even understand half it. Um, she says the capacitors extend the RAS and CAS signals. In the original design, if the trailing edge of CAS occurs too early, the bus transceiver window ends and written data doesn't reach the RAM chip. My design latches data at a timed interval from the leading edge of the right pulse, so the CAS timing does not affect the writes, and therefore you do not need to remove these two capacitors. Comments from the uh, hardware peanut gallery? What's the easiest way to stretch out a signal? Stick a capacitor on the line. <laughs> <laughs> Go, Tandy, go. <laughs> so, yeah. Hey folks, it's Shad. Uh, welcome back to the channel. As we wrap up Septandy, uh, it's time to breathe new life into this Tandy Color Computer 3 by upgrading it with a 512K memory expansion kit. Let's dive right into the upgrade process. I've already prepared my workbench for this upgrade, and I've got my trusty tools at the ready. So let's get started. First, I need to remove the screws securing the lid of the Coco 3. Take off the lid and I'm so surprised how people even keep the screws in the thing. These chips are what's currently providing memory to the computer, but it's time for an upgrade. People still have screws now in there? The the <laughs> I don't mind. Four RAM chips from their sockets. And for those who don't know, the 4464s that make up the 128K work as a 64K upgrade, a set of two of them if you have one of the later Coco 2s that has the option for the two-chip upgrade. So don't throw them away. You can actually give them to a Coco 2 owner that has one of the later Coco 2s, and they can upgrade if they have only 16K. They can upgrade to 64K of those chips. In fact, it's two sets of upgrades. So free upgrades for all. I've got the memory expansion kit right here. It's time to snap it into place. I like the fact it looks like a stealth fighter. Making mm -hmm. sure that it's snug and secure. With the memory expansion kit securely in place, let's put the lid back on. Anyway, after this, just runs a couple programs to kind of test to make sure the thing's working. Runs a, a memory test program for the performance peripheral ones, actually, to test the 512. Um, but yeah, the, the, I, I was kind of surprised about the not having to remove the capacitors, and it works perfectly fine, and then her explanation about it. And I'm just wondering if it was that easy to do that you didn't need it, why didn't some of the other later upgrades also not require you to snip capacitors up? Because a lot of people want to keep things you know, as stock as possible of their collectors type thing. It had to do with timing. Right. They're only needed for the original chips, which the 128K, no one's going to go back to 128K ever. So, yeah, Well, Just I did find that on uh, the static one I did, uh, that uh, it did fail without, if you didn't clip the caps. Right, right. They're specifically to fix the chips that are on the original motherboard, not the other right. way around. 
Okay. Because I have seen other people claim that they've done the uh, 512 cap grade. I'm, I don't remember which one specifically, but they said they didn't need to snip the caps either, and it still works. So I don't know if this has the same stretchy thing. Well, I guess if, if you want it to be theoretically perfect, there shouldn't be any capacitors on digital signal lines to change timing. That's not how you do it, unless you want to sell a computer for $300. <laughs> then that's how you do it. <laughs> So the particular chips that are being used in this case are probably more relaxed in their timing and are more tolerant. They're, they're a little slow, so they need everything to last a little longer than it really does. Well, uh, the way she described it, the person that created the board, not the person doing the install here, uh, my design latches data at a timed interval from the leading edge of the right pulse so the cast timing doesn't affect the rights. Right, and those chips are so fast, there's nothing the Coco can do to mess it up. Yeah, and there's, I think, I believe there's a little CPLD on that board, just like you know the current modern ones, like the two meg upgrades and stuff have too. Right, that's that's where he fixes every or she fixes everything. Anyway, it's, it's cool to know that there's another alternative source for five twelve upgrades that I had no idea existed. And apparently, has been around for a while. I knew she did the SD card stuff that actually supports cassette, but the S Coco SDC does not. The Dragon one, I believe, does. I'm trying to remember the name of their SD thing that supports the cassette. Blanking on it. Of course, I can't contact the Dragon guys here. They're all drinking right now. So <laughs> I'll tell anyway. you anything. Right. You can contact them, but it won't help. Ah, sure. Ah, <laughs> yeah, <that's everything>. <laughs> <laughs> Except with a British accent. Um, but yeah, it's, it's nice having the alternative because I know Mark, um, he still sells his 512K us upgrades that are also using static ram fact it has one meg and you can upgrade it to if you get a dat board you can upgrade it to a, the one meg just by adding the ad, missing address line basically and um ed if, you know hopefully we'll get going on the two and eight megs again and, and hopefully uh mark and sleeping get the 512 and two meg upgrades going pretty soon on, on their version of it but it's always nice having alternatives when you need to try to get one in a hurry or if somebody sold out or whatever so Next up, so Mr. Dave, uh, we've shown a couple of his demos with his software sprite routine. I'm sorry, I'm not going to call it a pixie as long as I live. Um, <laughs> but basically, he's actually patching basic. What he's done here, you'll notice on the second line on this little screenshot, H sprite command, which he's added to basic. Well, I shouldn't say added. He's replaced H circle with a new one. Um, so this actually is a H sprite, which you know has get put buffers and direction of, of the movement, etc. And that's just a little sample snippet to show it. And then he released a little video on Discord, which I saved to my desktop, just kind of show it in action here. Um, now, this part confused me a bit here because it looks like he just loaded with very little. He's got, you know, H screen 2 and a 100 go to 100 type thing. And then suddenly, you know, he runs that and suddenly he's running sprites in the background, so I'm not sure exactly what he's showing there. But it's actually doing all this stuff just from two lines but doesn't include an H sprite command, so I'm not sure. You'll have to explain that. I well, think he's still in the chat. code loaded in there somewhere. Yeah, he must have mm -hmm. had some other program or something, or maybe it's already running in the background. Like he might set it up to IRQ timer base that it, the sprites are running, and he ran it from a previous program he loaded. And this one just turned the screen on, so you could see it's still going. I'm not sure, uh, Mr. Dave, if you're still in the chat, please explain. And next up, I got a few stories here on the Dragon, actually from the World of Dragon archive forum. Um. The first one here is by a user named Jack B01 or B01. 
And uh, there's been talk about the fact that quite a few Dragon Power Supply units have to be replaced. And John Whitworth is actually making new ones now. I think it's John or was it Julian? One of the two is, is making replacement. I think it's John from Dragon Plus Electronics. But this person did it a, a different way. They took a Commodore 64 one and converted it to fix up the Dragon so that it runs. Now, there's some modifications needed. But he has a complete description of how all this works here and actually shows it running. And honestly, that's the best use of a C64 Power Supply I've ever seen. <laughs> um <laughs> I yeah. wouldn't use a C64 supply to power a C64. Those things are infamously unreliable. So are the Dragon ones, apparently. So, <laughs> But I'm guessing the C64 ones are probably in more plentiful surprise because there were so many more sold. But their logo is physically a commode door. Just look at it. Or chicken lips, I think, is their nickname <laughs> for it. From here, it looks like the, the hood's up. And the ring That's is down. Not, yeah. <laughs> I thought the Dragon used... Uh, the, uh, the Dragon used an AC signal, and the Commodore used a DC signal. Is that a difference between the PAL and the NTC ones, too, though? I don't know. Commodore has both, I think, AC and DC, if I remember right. It does, yes. It has 5 volts DC and 9 volts AC, I believe. Uh, on which one unit? Hmm. On the Commodore. Okay, because I thought it was a DC that is correct. on the Commodore that kept frying them. What happens? Yeah, that's, that's the thing. I wouldn't even use an original Commodore supply on a Commodore because you're likely to fry the thing. Yeah, the DC starts drifting too high, and once it goes above like 10% above five volts, then it starts frying the RAM. Right. But is the Dragon mm -hmm. the same way, or is it just AC only? So you're saying the Commodore supply is better than the Dragon supply, despite the fact that the Commodore supply. <laughs> I'm trying to follow this. I think it is I that there too, are right? a lot of uh, Commodore like, supplies being made right now because yeah, and up until recently there wasn't any like they ran out of the original Dragon Power supplies that people were trying to scrounge from. Oh, you know, so we machines. got new ones. Okay, yeah. and John Worth is making new ones now, but when his when he had his cancer treatments, he stopped manufacturing. So once he sold out, there was none again, and, and now he's thankfully he's he's, he's recovering and, and doing fairly well. But I think that having a backup where there was like 20 million C64 sold probably means you have a better chance finding one than 400,000 Dragons. So I'm guessing it's just a way to get things running again. Because it was an oddball power supply on the Dragon, I think, wasn't it? it? was Even for the UK, it was a bit of an oddball voltage and amperage or whatever. Yeah, again, it has D AC and DC also, probably for the serial stuff. So CB says here. Wow. Yeah, so it says here, I built an AC PSU myself with two transformers, providing the 9-volt and 2 times 18-volt AC. But that was too big and impractical. I know there are modern alternatives to replacing it, which, you know, depending on whether they're in stock or not, because there's only one person making them, and they only make it, you know, once in a while. They don't have them constantly in stock. I wanted to keep everything as much original as possible. So I came up with a solution using a C64 PSU, and then he kind of goes through the details. Just 9 volts. You know, with some pictures and stuff. But anyway, if you're not on the World of Dragon forms and, and why aren't you uh, you should definitely go join it's free and uh, they have a lot of cool stuff in there and they sometimes mention coco stuff too because another one that came sorry go ahead good mark because they are, because they are cousins there's yep yeah a lot of stuff we're cousins yep actually i'll mention something that um, karen and i are working on so i think i might have mentioned before the game Lucifer's Kingdom, which was originally a dragon game, which uh, Karen helped convert to run on the Coco. Um, I did some optimizations on the 6 and 9 side, so it runs a bit smoother, a bit faster. 
Um, we've been going back and forth getting the six through nine uh, updates to it. It'll speed up and smooth it out even a little bit more. I'm not quite ready for prime time, and he's kind of busy at the Dragon Meetup right now. So hopefully by next week, we will release those. So there'll be another six through nine enhanced game for both platforms. Anyway, back to this one here. So this is actually a pretty cool one. So the Home Computer Museum in Helmand in the Netherlands, um, which has dragons and cocos and a bunch of other things, they inherited a whole bunch of Dragon 64 floppy disks, a rather huge collection. Now they've archived them all. So there's a 26 meg zip file. And this covers Flex. This covers OS 9. This covers Disk Basic. And you can download it. There's the direct link right there. And... Um, Bart Van Den Acker, and we've mentioned him before because we've actually shown the museum because they actually have hands-on. You can go in and, and actually play with a Coco 3 or a Coco 2 or a Dragon at the museum. It's hands-on museum. And uh, I will just read a bit of this. I won't read the whole thing, uh, but this is basically a little bit of a hint of what's in this archive. And there's some stuff in there we probably have never seen here. <clears throat> Very interesting set of discs. The Dragon 64 in question was obviously heavily used under Dragon DOS, OS 9, and Flex for document preparation, graphics, and entertainment. The twin Dragon Data Disk Drives unit had two replacement 80-track double-sided drives fitted with 40 and 80-track switches, an auxiliary power takeoff of the rear, and another mystery switch on the front fascia, front fascia, which they have no idea what it does. So this was a customized Dragon they also inherited with this. The Dragon DOS cart had a replacement Super DOS ROM, including additional high 8K utilities, a second ROM mode switch for a further choice of ROMs. So kind of like the switching we were discussing with Brian Weasler earlier. The two ROMs that were in the cart appeared to have been present on the DOS and disk captured as part of this archiving. A number of interesting OS9 utilities are present on the disks, including the level 1 OS9 version of Sleuth, a disassembler debugger, uh, a new high-res console mode utilities for the Euroheart OS9 version 2 to allow 64 and 80 column text modes. Um, Euroheart, of course, is the company in Spain that took over the Dragon when Dragon Data went under, so around 84-ish. Um, the deck printer control utility for Stylograph, a mo mod modem OS9 com utility in Kermit, plus many other OS9 uh, users group PD disk utilities. Now, European OS9 users group was separate from the ones in North America and Australia, so they had some of their own unique software too. And also the OS9 game Biosphere, which is one that was sold by Tandy in, in North America, and I'm assuming Australia and elsewhere too, but uh, I don't think it ever was officially part of the Dragon, but apparently the users group did it. So you can play that on, on your Dragon as well. For Flex, there's an X-Modem utility, various games. Flex has games. That's an it went on me. Aside from Eliza and Chess, that's the only ones I've ever seen. So I'm kind of curious. And a COBOL language disc. So if you want to learn COBOL on a Coco, you can actually do it on the Flex one. I think there was a version from Microware for OS9 as well. Uh, but Tandy never sold it. So it's a lot rarer and harder to find. I think they even did a uh, Fortran too. One of those two, I think, required level two. Um, for Dragon DOS, many utility disks, many game disks, a number of utilities for converting program, Cocoa programs and disks to the Dragon, multiple music graphic and uh, desktop publishing applications and utilities. Some like Cocoa Max were converted from the Cocoa, so there's a version of Cocoa Max to the Dragon apparently as well. A Dragonized version of the CC video digitization application originally released for the Cocoa by Microworks. That's the DS69 you guys were showing earlier, isn't it? Isn't that the software that came with it? Ron or uh, Brian might be able to tell me. Yeah, CC, yeah. So that's been converted to the Dragon, so that even those DS69s can run on the Dragon, apparently, too. Yep. I think it's C-SEE or something like that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
It's assumed correct. that the mystery pass-through cartridge shown in the other picks section is probably the digitization hardware for this, but I didn't have time to investigate. Now, I won't read the rest of it because that kind of gives you a hint of what's in this archive of 26 meg zip disk images. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if any of you guys are on this forum here, I mean, especially with identifying some of the Cocoa hardware that's been adapted to Dragon, like like the, the DS69, you guys might want to give them a little bit of help there. I don't have one here. Two pair. As far as I know, I think Ron has one. Yeah. Um, Ken has the DS69A, I believe. Yep. And Rick, do you still have one of these? Yeah, I've got this one to be precise. Is that the A or B or the regular? This is the no no number, no name. Now it's interesting. The width knob has two and three as the two ways to go. I've got to plug this in and see what it works with. Because it's been open, so I don't know if anything's been changed. So I need to need to investigate. Yeah, it looks like something may have been changed. So I need to play with this. Okay. Anyway, I'm not sure if I'm going to have time to go through these in, in any time in the near future. But if any of you are interested in going through and seeing what Dragon DOS, OS9, or Flex, like Mikey might be interested in some of the Flex stuff, because it sounds like there's a fair bit in there. Um, the whole archive of everything, the 26 and a half meg download is uh, just on the archive. Go download it. Now I really want a Dragon. <laughs> all this stuff all at once. Yep. I'm glad they recovered all that, though, because it sounds like whoever had this really knew what they were doing and knew all the OSs, too. So it's it's a good variety and some stuff that's pretty darn rare on the Dragon in particular. There might be some stuff we've never seen like Ogo, too, um, like Cobol on Flex. I've never seen it. I've, I've read about it, but I've never seen it. Next up, this is another show that was on recently in Spain. In um Malaga, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but it's basically it's it's normally an Amstrad uh, retro show, and this is the eighth annual one of these. But they did have some other machines at this particular one. In fact, I fast forward the video clip here to show you. But there's a few dragons you can see just in the background. Plus, you can see the you know, the actual Amstrads you know before that here on the current screen. It's in Spanish. I won't bother translating a little bit here. I'll just kind of show they can show the couple of the dragons running. Because of course, when Eurohard bought it, Eurohard was a Spanish company. They were trying to get the dragons into schools there and succeeded somewhat. And um they kept the dragon going when they made the Dragon 200, et cetera, for longer after Dragon Data folded. And there was a bit of a controversy because they were, you know, ramping the prices back up when they were trying to sell it back in the UK. So it became more expensive than it was before, which means Nobody was buying them because at that time the C64 dropped their prices to compete and stuff. Um, so, of course, you know, it ultimately ended up tanking anyway, but uh, interesting to kind of see. Continuando con el evento, nos encontramos un Dragon 32 funcionando. Un ordenador que me interesa mucho porque tengo el reto de reparar uno. También podíamos disfrutar de una Vectrex y una. So, there's the uh, sort of the yellowish Dragon 64 and then a whitish one. And I don't know if that's related to the fact that, that maybe the Spanish your hard company made the case moldings a little bit different than the uh, original Dragon Data ones, or if that's just you know age on the one on the left and nothing on the right. It doesn't look like they're running a Cocoa STC on it, though. Mm-hmm. And of course, they have a Vectrex, another 6-8-9 machine right beside it. That always mm-hmm. makes my heart flutter. Consola de Commodore 64. 
And that other one that was on the far left, I have no idea what that was. Anyway, they got a pretty good mixture of machines here. It's not just Amstrad's by any long shot. So if you're in Spain, I guess around this time of the year, this is apparently a, a regularly scheduled thing. Like I said, this is the eighth one. Um, might want to go check it out. And then some Dragon updates from the Facebook group. Uh, the first one here is from Julian Brown. And we were talking about this a little bit earlier here, where he's basically got his Dragon repro board done and working. In fact, uh, he said, I had to hope to be doing this a few weeks ago to have something tangible for the meetup, the one that uh, Kieran's at right now. Uh, but work and life got in the way no longer. The first test version of the updated Dragon board. So this is his first ordering a board with enhancements above the original Dragon spec is off to be fabricated. It doesn't include the sound options yet, and there's a further story we'll talk about that, but it does provide support for bigger EPROMs, 256K of page memory, similar to the J&M banker that, uh, or J&R banker, sorry, that Ken's trying to get working. Um, and hopefully he's actually been in contact with the uh, person that originally owned the machine, so hopefully they can figure something out. Um, also has an internal cartridge expansion port, as well as the external one, so you can actually have two cards without a multi-pack. And discrete video circuits. So that actually, I remember he had posted before, you can actually swap out a little module of the circuit so you can do NTSC or PAL, so you can actually switch between them. Um, he said, I'm only testing the first two PAL and NTSC video boards this time around, as they are relatively cheap and simple. And as for the missing sound chips, well, he talks a little bit of little stuff here, but he's actually got a survey on the next and last story of today that I'll just skip over to. So if you're on the Dragon uh, group on Facebook, you should go answer this. Um, whether you've got a Dragon now or not, uh, shouldn't matter because this is actually for making the new motherboard. So this will be your chance to pick what is going to be upgraded in the new Dragon that he's bringing out. So quick poll. How many audio channels is enough? If I use an AY38910, there are three channels per chip. On a Spectrum 128, that is one channel each, left and right, plus one shared between both. I'm planning on using an emulated version of the chip, AT Mega 48 based. I can create a double or more version to share data bus, clock, etc., and cut down on the footprint, but how many channels is enough or too much? I only need four bytes of address space to run six channels. A full I address block is enough to run 32 channels. For comparison, the Gyrus arcade cabinets use 15 channels to create one of the most impressive audioscapes of the 80s games. I'm edging towards 12 channels, three each dedicated left and right, two pairs mixed, but biased to left or right, so you can kind of like pan the stereo instead of just hard left, hard right. And a final pair centered and shared evenly. Should be enough to create a dynamic audio landscape. This is for the updated Dragon board, but is transferable to a cartridge design to retrofit other Dragons. And then he's got a whole whack load, 25 comments and suggestions already here, you know, OPL <laughs> chips and all kinds of stuff. So um, as a quick little discussion topic, is there such a thing as too many audio channels? I would just max the sucker out and go. There's some people saying, you know, if you're trying to do like, you know, DAC style sound, that that might be overpower the CPU too much, which I would agree right. with. But these chips also have built in, you know, basic waveforms of their own that you just send a couple of notes to it and it just plays in the background for you. So in that case, I would just say go go nuts. What's your guys' opinion? Right. Right. I mean, 32 ought to be enough. <laughs> right. Well, squeeze. Yeah, because you can run some of them at really low resolution, you know, and the rumble channel is only 20 hertz anyway. So, yeah, just load it up, guys. Well, that, that's thing. Like he mentions in, in this 32 channel version, that's going to take a full 16 bytes out of your I.O. space which can also be used by like, you know, hard drives and scanners and whatever else. So 
what's the trade-off like the max RAM you should reserve for just sound and leave it open for other hardware you may want to add? You would need sampling, which is the hole I fell down into. If you have more channels, if you can sample, then the channel can take care of itself while you do something else. But then you've got so much money spent into sampling and sequencing. Where does it end? Yeah. I mean, like here, Paris Rats, like he was mentioning that uh, even with a 639, if you're trying to drive that many channels of actual DAC type stuff, that you're going to overload the CPU unless you're just playing music and that's all you're doing. Then he's suggesting like the OPL3, which is actually built into Ed Snyder's Mega Mini MPI, which we've seen Lord Wall or uh, Lord Dragon, Todd Wallace, you know, create players that are playing, you know, the theme from Doom from the PC from the Sound Blaster works fine under OS9 type thing and doesn't even need a 639 type thing. So there's there's a lot of options there, I guess. Those are much harder to program for because they're a bit more complex chips than Alan Murphy could probably explain that a lot better than I could because he's actually done some work on those. But yeah, the one thing that worried me a bit, because I know some people have complained that, you know, the IO space, especially in a Cocoa 3, is there's not a ton. And if you want to put in like a 16550, you know, that might take up a fair chunk. Or if you've got an eliminator, that takes about 24, 32 bytes of IO space because it's got clocks and parallel ports and serial ports and hard disk and, and floppy drive simultaneous controllers and blah, 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 blah. So like, is there a trade-off where you should go? That's enough file space. We'll restrict it there and leave enough room for other hardware. I think the real question is, does it have a real-time clock? <laughs> this one could. I mean, he's still designing what all he's adding to it. So right. you could request that and have it built in right off the start. I think we've mentioned that I, to Pedro and a few others doing Cocoa 3 upgrade boards too, right? I think the real question is, what is it that people want to actually do with the computer? Right. Um, what's the point? And, you know, 16 channels, 32 sound channels. That sounds great. Okay, so who's going to write that software? Oh, no one. Oh, I well, think, that's I great. Think right. 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 We don't have a right. music division for your game division, right? Your, your music, your music department's not up to the task of a orchestra. Well, I, I can say Todd Wallace has written an OPL three player for the Mega Mini that actually does sixteen voice simultaneous, and it's just a command he wrote for Nitrous Nine that you can just run. So if you want to have some music playing while you're drawing credits on the screen, I don't know how well it runs in the background. I haven't actually tried to fiddle with that, but if you want like intro music and stuff, there already is some stuff done. I just turn the radio on and listen to that. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a whole disc image he made um, with, I think, four, eight meg of OPL3 songs from all over the place. There's classical, there's well, rock, there's game theme, musical kinds of stuff. He's just porting whatever's already been developed. Well, he wrote, the, the, he wrote uh, the player. Sound Blasters, yeah. So he wrote the player routine. But, yeah. I mean, Content. what is it that... <laughs> people actually want to create on the cocoa well, that's, that's really a funny thing like see. nick you and i are of the mindset usually that you would prefer not to have distracting music playing in the background all the time i usually shut music off because it's distracting to me but you talk to like really... Bo and some of those people they say a game that doesn't have background music is boring and and you know they get bored with it quickly because they're more of the modern generation every game they've ever played since they grew up on a nintendo has background music so that's their normal and they think we're just primitive you know cavemen and how many channels do you need? Because that's what it comes down to. The Amiga's right. got four. 
and that seems to be enough for all the games. No, there's lots of complaints in the media community because a lot, a lot of them had to pick. Do you want sound effects or do you want music? Because you can't have both because you only have four. That's a complaint in the media community a lot. Now, later Amigas, I think, could do more than four, couldn't they? Even the old one could do eight if you uh, if you mix the channels. You could do eight even on the original Amiga. Yeah, but those were also DMA-based too, weren't they? They were a bit more They're all memory, DMA, memory but, bus uh, intensive. You, you can software mix two channels into one. So that's well, that's what you do in the Coco all the time, right? Exactly. So you do that on the Amiga, which is running faster and is 8-bit. You can get away with eight channels. Yeah, but I do know, like, if you talk to Boat or Aaron, any of them, they, a lot of them complain a lot of the games, and you, I think they've played them on their channel, where you, you get a choice in the menu when you start the game up. Do you want sound effects, or you, do you want music because you're not getting both? Now, maybe that's just the programmers weren't good enough, I don't know. But it seems to be a fairly common complaint. So maybe <laughs> Tom Eric Anderson's saying, just add a SID. Right, that, well, that's the idea. Maybe you just have two, like, Orchestra 90 completely controlled DAC channels, and then FM synth to make some background music. It doesn't take a lot of CPU. But which one do you pick? Because everybody's got a favorite. Even the Coco's got 16 sound chips. That, <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. True. You know. So how many? Yeah, exactly. I, the SIDs are got what three or four channels. So that's still yeah. They're they're basically okay. an enhanced version of like the sound speech pack. Much better waveforms and more of them. Well, it's it, it's a it's a better sound chip, but uh, it's got four the three or four channels. I can't. I, yeah, I can't or say remember, the OPL three that's in the Mega Mini has sixteen or thirty two. I can't remember. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think there's either. Yeah, and real real instrument samples too, not just fancy waveforms. But you know, here's a flute that sounds like a flute. Well, the basic OPL. I think. I think you've got to go to OPL uh, four. Is it or some three or four? I can't remember. There's just so many. My point is, how many Coco people are going to now say, I've got 32 channels. I'm going to write a a piece of software that does 32 channels music. Yeah, right. Well, Todd Todd did. Like I said, you can kind of cheat and always sign a music for No, he wrote a player, and then you just import all the other people's uh, songs. Oh, you're talking about writing the whole editor that creates the music and stuff too? Well, what is it you want to create, though? If you just want to write a player, fine. Right. That's for importing other other people's music. I'm talking well, about. Well, no, you can use right. a player to create your own music too. You just have to like edit the data file. Yeah. Right? Okay. So where's the software to create the music? Who's going to do that? Well, I don't know know enough about it, but I know like the PC and others have like MIDI to OPL conversions and vice versa. So theoretically, you could use like Altamuse, which is a 16 track MIDI uh, music composer. Create your own music on there, and if you just exported it through this little utility and created an OPL3, you should theoretically be able to play that right through the Coco. So you created the music on the Coco, and you're playing it on the Coco. Well, we've had OPL3 on uh, on the multi-pack uh, by Ed for how many years? Where's all the editors? Where's all the other software? We've got well, players. People are lazy since there's good editors for OPL3 and other machines. It's, it's like you, Nick. You do your graphics on the Amiga. You don't do everything on the Coco. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit different. <laughs> no, but same thing. Like if you've got a, a tool that exists already on another machine you have sitting around that will do it better than the Coco ever will to create a file for the Coco to use, that's what most people do. 
This is like cross-assembling with LW Asm, which a lot of people do too. I mean, we're we're dinosaurs, we don't, but <laughs> anyway, obviously there's some opinions on this. So I think you guys should all go on to the dragon group on Facebook and go answer this this poll here and then maybe see what he comes up with. Let me tell you why you're all wrong. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Nick. I got to see the responses to that. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that chain of events. I I want to see someone create music using the Coco STC streaming. That's something I want to do. And I hopefully either Paul, um, whatever his name, or someone actually use it because I think that's going to be really good. Yeah, well, you could do like John Lindell did for his video player, where you could you could stream the video interlaced with audio and actually do like movie clips for games. Like you do Dragon Slayer easily with that. Yeah, so that's that's a thing. We still haven't seen the potential of what can be done with what the Coco has, let alone trying to rip off what the other computers have done. Yeah, well, I mean that applies to both, right? Like the Coco SDC added the streaming. That wasn't in the first versions of the firmware. That was added later. No, no, no. But you've also got like the Mega Mini, which has been on sale for a while too, which has the OPL3 chip built in, as well as you know some of the other sound chip solutions as well. And all and the we, games that have been developed for it. Yeah, well, still the the champion as far as what has had the most games is still sound speech back, and that's only about 30 to most it is, speech. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The very first one. And even that hasn't been used fully either. Yeah. Well, there's a good reason. We've discussed it on the show before. The reason the sound speechback never really took off was twofold. One, you needed a, 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 a multi-pack to run it with any disc games. And most of us ditched cassette early in the 80s, unlike they did in the UK. So are you going to like stop, pull your disc controller out, plug that thing in until you load a cassette game so you can actually run the darn thing? No, you're not. Or you have to pay for a multi-pack. And the other thing is they never updated for the Coco 3. So, you know, the games that would really take a good advantage of it, doing really good graphics and stuff, it doesn't even work at double speed. Mm-hmm. Whereas every Coco has a DAC. Yep. Use that. And my TC9 has 8-bit DAC, which Bill and I did use. Um, so that's the last news story. Um, so I'm going to catch up on some of the comments in the chat here, which actually involves some of the stories we were talking about a little bit earlier. So let me grab that window over here. So talking about uh, the Sprite demo, um, it sounds like I was right. Uh, what Dave is saying here in the chat, um, HSprite will set directions, etc. cetera, uh, but he had some defaults turned on for the test. No exec or USR call is needed. And he basically said that he did do what I suspected, that he already had this running in the background, and the H screen just turns the screen on so you can see it, but that was all running as kind of a background test or interrupts. Um, Getting back into the Dragon Power Brick. Uh, Tom Eric Gunderson says, I never had a problem with the Dragon Power Brick. I think the problem is that they get lost and dragons are sold on without them. I don't know. I've heard a few people, especially in the world of Dragon Archive, that mentioned that they died at some point. So maybe it was just a certain batch of them. I, I don't know. Uh, Whalen says, it's not easy to find a PSU that has all the voltages. Uh, and as I mentioned before, Tom I mentioned just had a SID chip for the sound chip solution. James Jones, having a bunch of unique hardware that everybody has to write unique code to peek and poke magic addresses is the way to make sure nothing gets done. There needs to be an abstraction that people can use for whatever hardware, which, of course, is pushing towards Nitrous 9 and not West 9. Sorry. Yeah, we need somebody to write a routine that you can call from basic or call from 
as a library, like Jamie Cho tried to do with some of his software sprite stuff. Right, the hardware abstraction layer where you're writing to an imaginary target that yeah. people could put their various sound cards into. That's a good idea. Now, Waylon mentions, and this is true, there are a lot of Cocoa SDCs. Like that. We're probably getting close, if not already past the 2000 mark out in circulation, whereas Mega Minis and everything else we're talking about is in the dozens, maybe a 100 or 200. So the streaming feature in the Cocoa SDC is something that definitely more people will have already. Almost uh, a standard. And you don't need right. a multi-pack to run the SDC because it emulates floppy drive, hard drive, and adds the streaming onto it all in one card. So that's yep. that's a good point. See, I was right. And Phantom Ape says, let's start a new standard. We'll have 10 new standards now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Are we already doing that with all the other sound solutions? Exactly. Got <laughs> so many sound solutions, and not one of them really is the uh, number one. Yeah, like, I mean, literally for sound right now, it's it's the sound speech back is the closest we got. And on yeah, a Cocoa yeah. 3, you have to clock it back down to one megahertz to use it. That's right. It hasn't been used fully either. No. And like I said, it wasn't a big seller because you needed to buy a multi-pack on top of it if you wanted to use it with disc, which is what most people would have wanted. And that added 150 bucks or whatever it is, you know, to the price plus the 90 bucks or 100 bucks for the card. So that's not a cheap upgrade just to get one of the poorest speech chips made and you know a, a, a bit of a cripple of sound chip because of the speech? way they accessed it sorry what's wrong with that speech <laughs> that sounds way too human nick you gotta you gotta <laughs> tap it's your throat at the good. same time and get that oh, you get the chop chop in there <laughs> <laughs> i've got to clinch more no i i think the streaming option is i think you're right on that it's definitely the most common um, so if you want a standard that everybody can run, most of us, if we're running a real hardware, has a Coke SDC. The one thing is none of the emulators emulate that yet. So that gets rid of a good chunk of the population too. So until an but emulator... That would be went, an easy thing to emulate though. Yeah, I would figure. Uh, you know, why would they put that emulation in if there's no software yet that uses it? Huh? Yeah, and I haven't seen anything except for one demo that uses the streaming feature. I've seen a you know like some exactly. of the OPL three stuff because Ed Snyder did a OPL three player for Disc Basic, and Todd did one for Nitrous Nine. So we actually do have OPL three players on both houses. That's right. Yeah. Step one. We'll let Nick write the. Uh, we'll let Nick run the, uh, the write the flex one. The what? The flex. <laughs> <one>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just making sure you're awake and paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, that's that's all I got. Okay, then. This is where your hair burns. Time to wake up, everybody. All right. Yep. Oh, uh, actually, there's Die. one. Sorry, go ahead, uh, Jason. And how dare you interrupt? <laughs> <laughs> and he interrupted himself <laughs> with a bad cell signal. <laughs> That's awesome. He's, Perfectly he's probably on a roller coaster. Uh, Nick, right. I, I, since you've done some reading on this and I haven't done too much on it myself here, but Wayland in the chat is asking, explain the streaming feature, please. Well, I haven't done it yet. Oh, that's something I want to look at. But basically, you can have a, a, a essentially a WAV file on your SD card that's in the Coco SDC. You put it on the uh, actual file system there. And then you can set it up so that 
with an interrupt-driven routine, it can just fetch the data. You, you have, obviously have to tell it what the file is that you want to stream from the SD card, and it will send you a byte at a time every time you read that value, that, that port or whatever, that address um, from the SDC. So it sends you one byte from the WAV file every time you go to access it. Then your software merely just reads that byte, sends it to the DAC, and then yep. continues doing whatever else. So it's very little to be done. There's not much you have to do, and you just keep reading that same single address, and the SDC will then send you the next byte in the WAV. Yeah. So it's streaming the data as you as you read that one byte. You just read it and write it, and that's it. Yeah. Now, as Waylon says in the chat, that's got lots of use, not just sound. That's exactly what I was going to say, too. Like I mentioned, you could early video with that. You could have... Oh, hmm. yeah, yeah. If if you've got and, a way and, to seek in the file, you could you know have a huge adventure game with tons of rooms and stuff described into it. And just yeah. you know seek ahead and just read whatever many bytes you need to get the next room description. It allows you to do sound or video or any other of these files we're talking about here that are larger than the amount of RAM you have in your machine, because the file can be up to four gig, I believe it is. Yeah, it's merely streaming data. Now, what yep. you use the data for well depends on what it's you're doing. And unlike doing it on a Cocoa effect. itself, where you have to have just MMU registers, and my pass is AK block, map, map the next one, and rewind the counter to the beginning of the block, and all There's this other none kind of, of that. Crap. You're no. just doing load, 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 load. Yeah, well, load right, load right, load right. Well, you might not even have to write, depending on what the data being used is for. You might it well, might yeah, be a, yeah, but a flag mark or something. Who knows? For music, yeah, you load and load from the uh, stream and. Right to the deck. Yeah, because it could be video data, it could be sprite data, it could be text for an adventure game, it could be sound, it could be a combination yeah. of those interleaved together. So all kinds of stuff. It's a it's a feature of the SDC which is not yet hasn't been used, not to its fullest. So I'd like to look into trying to do that in uh, one of my next games, but uh, haven't done so yet. But I that is the plan. Yeah. Now, Bruce Moore adds, and he says, Nick, we need to talk about streaming the WAV from the SDC. I have run a video animation, but when I try audio, I get a lot of garble. You haven't actually tried it yet, so I mean, figuring out the I haven't details. tried it yet. No, no. Honestly, but talk talk to Ed or possibly Todd on, on that type. Because I think, well, I don't know if Todd's actually Ed, fiddle with streaming yet. Ed for sure has. I'm He's got sure. demos up. Ed's got a demo of it. Yeah, so it yeah. does. We can just disassemble work. the demo, too, if Ed's not around. And then Wayland says, scrolling background graphics. That's a good good point too. You could set it up to offset a pointer into the background and just go. Constantly changing background where you don't have to buffer all the little file shapes and stuff too. Then you know that at least anything you write to use that technique will work on any Coco that has a, an SDC. Right. Yeah. And how many files can you have on an SD card? A lot. Lots. <laughs> And they can be big files, more than five twelve k. They could be well. They could be lots of screens. As they could be screens, or if again uh, with music, you can have a big WAV file. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, you don't have it. It doesn't take up any of the Cocoa RAM. Yeah, and the other advantage is too, if you want to do multi voice, where you're merging the voices data together, like we were talking about earlier, like the the Mega premixing and stuff. 
you can pre-mix like four channels or digitize a raw file with you know a full orchestra in the background and then you just load the completed already pre-merged byte from this file and just jam it out to the deck well what you can do is uh like if you if you're writing a most of my routines are, are a two channel routine one is for well uh, for each i usually can have two sound effects running at once but you might have a four channel playback routine well you can allocate if it's a four channel routine allocate three for 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 the sound effects in the game and one is the stream so you can have a game with lots of really good sound effects and playing pretty good music in the background and with without taking up too much cpu time mm. there's Where's no the processing video? Are you telling us about your next game? Well, um, I haven't quite gotten to that, but <laughs> you block it together. <laughs> there's lots I think it's of just more figuring out the capabilities that you can use this yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, that is something I do want to try look at in my next game. So I haven't gotten to that point yet, but that is the plan. Yes. A couple more comments here. So Bruce Moore also said Ed's demo seems to use a large, and he emphasized the word large buffer. Um, he said, going straight from the FCC without a buffer seems to have timing issues. So I don't know, is there some delays reading from the SD card file at times and you have to kind of like read ahead so you don't get I'm stuck with it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the 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 trade-offs are. As far as I know, you, you, know, you just read the data and uh, that's it. There's nothing else, but I could be wrong. Because well, I do know all... there's warnings in the SDC manual itself that, you know, sometimes depending, especially when creating files, like creating disk images, that you might actually have up to a couple second delay as the thing on its own, the, the OS that actually operates off the SD card, you know, with Windows compatible type directories can sometimes take a while to like check the, the allocation chain, et cetera, and you can get a little delay. So maybe I, on reading, you wouldn't think that'd be as much of an issue since it's solid state. But Yeah, reading should be fine and and even then you wouldn't be using it at, at the highest um at the highest um stream rate anyway so well have yeah. you guys played the uh brandenburg um selection of music that you can play with the sdc you know and using um a program that um ed made ed um ed snyder I'm and he also sure. has he also has uh um, the very first show of um, the Coco Crew podcast, and then he has uh, a Batman movie that you can watch in real low res. But it also um, it plays a um, graphic of um, Bad Apple. Have you ever watched any of that? No, not yet. Yeah, it's all but that's all easy. Yeah, that's that P mode yeah, for interlude video and audio, right? Kind of the same as John did with the Star yeah. Wars movie on the ID. Yeah, it's available now, and you can watch it. It's and it streams perfectly without pause. Yeah, I, until I play with it, I I don't know all the ins and outs yet, but it has. It seems like it has a lot of potential. Yeah, like Bruce is asking, can you change the stream rate from the SDC? I mean, that'll depend. Like, if you're doing sound, for example, in a WAV file, it depends on what you recorded. Did you record it 22 kilohertz, 44 kilohertz? 44 to be pushing and trying to get it to go smooth. Well, Coco. It, it, you're not going to be able to, I assume you're not going to be able to change the uh, sample rate on the fly. 
this will be for playing a pre yeah you'd pre-render it at something that you're comfortable having enough overhead for whatever you're doing like if you need a lot of graphics moving around drawn locally you might need to you know clock it down to 11 kilohertz or something to keep it yeah exactly but the bad apple demo uh, the one that uh, ron's talking about is kind of like a black and white jap japanimation style demo with music playing and full p mode four graphics moving about 20 frames a second six or nine required if i remember correctly but um, so he'd be streaming graphics and sound data same same as john did with the star wars demo on the id yeah I think I think for just playing, if you just want to use it just for background music, I don't think it's going to be as high overhead. No, and if you premix everything so it's just one reading, one six bit DAC reading you need to send out, then it's just literally a byte every. Well, it depends on your killers. Like I said, forty four killers might be pushing it. Uh, oh, if yeah, you want to do anything else at the same time, I wouldn't do that. No, no, that. But twenty two, you might be able to do, and eleven. I mean, that's pretty close to what you've well, been using some I'll, of your games. I would keep it at the. At the highest would be 11 because we're mm. talking about, well, I'm talking about having background music in a game. So you've got to leave some CPU time for the game itself. Yeah, like <laughs> graphics and AI and reading joysticks. Exactly. And... So you really can't go too high. Yeah, with the 6-bit DAC, you don't really have to push and if, stuff into no. the... Yeah, and if you want to merge in a sound effect like a, a laser blast or something, then you would have to merge it with the background sound. There's bite. a bit of data there. That's right, yeah. Maybe but, no different I mean, than your current two channel. Exactly, exactly. Be no different to what I'm doing now. Except you'd have a pre-rendered multi-voice background track instead of you having to or all these things together or add them together to yeah. make it like a four yeah, voice. Yeah, that's right. It'd be the pre-rendered data. for you as a one voice, and then you add your sound effect. Exactly. On that. All I'm <clears> doing <throat> is mixing it or adding adding the values together. Yeah. So literally, so, like something like Sockmaster's um, mod player, which does four simultaneous voices. At eight kilohertz or nine kilohertz or whatever, well, he, you could pre have that pre rendered as one pre done, ready to go channel with it already all pre mixed, and then add yeah. in your sound effect on top of it. Well, that's right. Well, you you would have you would take an entire track, like an entire song, and make it into a a, a big way a WAV file uh, sample. And it doesn't have to, to be WAV. I mean, you make your own custom eight bit. Well, exactly. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah. Something yeah. that's just got a, a byte per byte of um, of every um, sample, and uh, as long as you sample it down to the speed that your playback routine is going to be, then yeah, you just basically just read a byte, write a byte, and that's it. Yeah, that's your RQ routine finished. Oh, this is that, cool. That, you could, literally, yeah. I mean, here's here's a, here's a wrinkle. You could have a a, a constant. Um, constant sample rate on your recorded music, and then you just skip as many samples as needed, depending on how much overload your program has. So I don't have time to play every sample right now. I'll play every other sample for this part of the game. Well, and then I can go back too. to every sample when I get to a slower part of the game. And that way you have the best possible resolution at every point, rather than having to pick one ahead of time. And of course, if you have an orchestra ninety, you can yep, load eight bit data to left and right. <clears throat> you can have full stereo, just are. reading a low D story. Yeah, exactly. Actually, I guess uh, yeah. I think the streaming has to do eight bits at times. It's load A, load B off the streaming, and then a story yeah, on the orchestra ninety's yeah. to. Either way, registers. there's a lot of a lot of potential there. So 
Yeah, that's something I've got to look into. And several thousand, I think, probably getting closer to twenty five hundred uh, Cocoa SDC learners out there. You can even do this on a Cocoa one and two. This doesn't require Cocoa three either. No, no, exactly. It'll work on a one and two. So, someone will use it. I don't know if I'll be the first, but either Paul Shoemaker or or uh, Paul um, Redbeard Piscarelli, <laughs> Piscarelli, or Paul Thayer. Yeah, right? we got so many. Dude, Bruce balls. Moore's one already been trying. He's been working on that. <laughs> So yeah, someone someone will use it, and I think I think that is uh, there's a lot of potential in doing that on the Coco, and the Coco will sound much better than even a Commodore sixty four, yeah. In general, because wow. all modern machines use DACs, they don't use custom. Yeah, yeah. Sound chips. Right. I mean, the sound chip <clears throat> is good, but it still sounds like a sound chip. Right. I just posted the. Uh... Zipster Zone's uh, media player uh, explanation. I'll have a look at it later. It's, yeah, it's it's on, in the notes right here. <clears throat> so plenty of things to explore. It's not a dead computer yet. <laughs> I've still got a couple more things to invent. Yeah, there's still things well to discover. That's the thing. You Even if they do involve newer hardware, yeah. Mm. Oh, but you have to have the old computer because you can't change a new computer. There's nothing hardware you can do to a new computer that isn't going to screw it up. So yeah. you actually uh, need a, something like a Cocoa to play with. And there's so many Coco SDCs out there. Yeah. That, well, just uh, from hearing Frank, how many he sold, and then Ed, Ed already announced he sold like 1,500 several years ago. I mean, yeah. I know it's it's up so, at the 2,500 to 3,000 mark at this point. I would say it's more of a sound. It Well, it could be more of a sound standard than, than the, the actual sound, sound cards. Back. Sound cards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is. Number one is the built-in DAC. Number two is the uh, SDC streaming. By the way, if you haven't been following the chat there, Nick, uh, Bruce has been mentioning that he's got the video streaming working. It's getting the sound to work properly. He's been having problems with. And he All says, right. it is exciting to see the scary tree in full animation, let me tell you. <laughs> All right. I, and he says, maybe I can release for Halloween. Uh, Bruce, if you can even release a video showing your streaming video, that'd be, yeah. that'd be great to see. What res is, uh, is the stream? That he's using. I have no video. idea. Not a clue. Uh, I think he's using Pimo 4, though. Like he, he's demonstrated the sequel to Force of Doom at the show a few times, and I think it's a Pimo 4. Correct me if I'm wrong, Bruce. Because I was thinking, I was thinking, you know, I was going to try use an old semi graphics for low res color and stream yeah, that. Pimo 4, he says, so 256 by 192. Right. Which is the same res that I think Ed used on his, uh, that music video version he did all right yeah anyway. i have ran that demo the, the, it, it's pretty impressive it's it actually looks smoother than uh john's but john had more overhead because he has to like talk to the controller and request sectors and all this kind of stuff whereas the streaming is just here's a the big honking file i want you to send me data from start sending yeah that's right you do the dirty work and i'll just play with the end result yeah, I'll just send you know, some to the screen and some to the DAC, and uh, that's all I need to know. Yeah, it's up to your software to split them up. 
so that there that that's my uh the direction i'm taking yep you might want to talk to bruce because it looks like he's already got some of the working already so if you have any questions especially considering since as i discovered when bob was showing off his give me x system there there's some mistakes in the manual so <laughs> if you got it working we probably should have you know sample code at least to you know how to properly talk to it just in case we get some more you know where the manual's not correct I'd like to see what you guys can do with the uh, reprogrammable Gimme uh, hardware font because you can redefine all 128 characters on the latest firmware update from Gary Becker. So if you want to write a game that only takes a 2K screen, but you can draw all the individual pixels, it'll be a virtual 640 by 200 um, with the attributes and everything else that you can you know, do colors and stuff. And you could actually you know, write a pretty decent game in that, probably even from basic. All right, I don't have anything else. Do you guys have anything else? I wasn't expecting the show to go this long, actually. But does the Gimme X have a Becker port? You have to ask Gary Becker. He's the one writing the software for it. <laughs> all the firmware in the Gimme X is written by Gary Becker. So all of the ports are technically Becker ports. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> You just got to get that stupid chip it uses back in stock. That would solve the Coco VGA shortages and the Gimme X shortages. Mm. I have some money. The only the only glimmer of hope we've had is there was a production run of like fourteen thousand that sold out almost immediately, but they did come back in the market briefly. So there is some. If they sold out immediately, they figure you know that's probably a good opportunity to make more. Is that a Chinese project product? I have no idea. Do you know, uh, Bob, did you see what the chip is that the thing is using? I did not see that. Well, you know it's going to be TSMC or... Uh, Don't tell me you put the, the screws one? back in. I thought you could just lift you off did. the case and take a look. <laughs> no, I did because I'm, I'm going to put it back in my bag and take it home. Uh, something else I saw in there that I didn't notice earlier is one of the small capacitors is blown apart. Oh, on on the Gimme X board or on, on one of the, the motherboard? Yeah. On the Gimme X. Oh, um, it, do, it doesn't uh, look like smoke damage. It looks like maybe it got. I don't know. Maybe something cracked it. Wasn't it? Maybe wasn't it with was... the Gimme X board? You had to clip a capacitor on the motherboard in order to allow the Gimme X board to be able to go low enough. Uh, I didn't That's, see any missing capacitors. I yeah, I don't remember that. Transistors. I thought there was an electrolytic capacitor that stuck up, yeah. uh, stood up too high. You had to put a shorter one in. Yeah, oh, yeah. That is ringing a bell now. That is ringing a bell. I yeah. like. I just sent my dad and let him do it. So what he did, I but don't know. But that's on the Coco's motherboard, not on the Gimme X board, though. Right. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, but if it wasn't done, then it could, that could sh have shorted something. Wow. Yeah, well, that's right. The top so of the, so uh, that bell ringing, is that sound three comma two or something? <laughs> huh. You couldn't hear it, could you? No. Nah. In basic, how do you make sound, right? The sound command? Mm -hmm. said it was okay. He said it was ringing a bell. <laughs> oh, yeah, sound. <laughs> I was trying to be funny. Yeah, didn't work. We should go yeah, now. It didn't work. Try again. I'm going to hit the leave button. <laughs> leave me. This concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show 
featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Cocoa Nation, visit us on the web at thecocoanation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecocoanation.com. The Cocoa Nation show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Cocoa Nation theme song copyright 2022, D. Bruce Moore, mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Cocoa Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. Okay, we done? Yep, we're done. Okay. I think we were done no, 20 minutes ago. <laughs> They're sick of us. Yeah. See you all next week. Bye, bye, bye. We're still here.